Well, the Blue Jays are uh, back home using air quotes in Dunedin to kick off a 10-game homestand tonight. They got the Phillies for three, an off day Monday, then seven divisional games, the Red Sox for three, and a wraparound Friday to Monday, four-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays. They are 20 and 16. They are right in the thick of it in the American League East, despite a lot of challenges that have come up so far. So for his uh, objective assessment on the state of the team and a look at some of the uh, Blue Jays' top prospects and where we go next with Nate Pearson and Alec Manoa, among others, so we welcome to the program the senior baseball writer for The Athletic, a former assistant to then-Blue Jays general manager J.P. Ricciardi. Keith Law is here. Keith, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm fully vaccinated now, so I'm a happy man. Well, we are happy to uh, hear that, and may we all be uh, in that position sooner rather than later. So that, that that's great to hear. Um, if if I were to lay out the Blue Jays' situation, uh, starting with the fact that, generally speaking, they are a young team, but the attrition in the bullpen in terms of injuries, although those who have pitched have been fantastic, George Springer's essentially unavailable status of ex- with the exception of about three and a half games so far this year. Teoscar Hernandez going on the COVID list and staying on for about three weeks as he recovered. The fact that they've played 25 of 36 games on the road. Uh, the fact that unlike the Yankees and the Red Sox, they have not yet seen a significant chunk of the Orioles or even the Tigers on their schedule. If I throw all of that into the mix and you tell me they're 20 and 16 coming out of the gate, I'd take that and run with it. Are the Blue Jays in your mind in 2021 legitimately a good team that will last the season and contend for a playoff spot in September? Sure. I mean, that's what I had them doing going into the season. I don't think I was alone on that. I think they were generally seen as a as a likely playoff team, a likely playoff contender for most of the season. I think they've had to deal with a little more adversity than most teams, but unfortunately everyone's getting hurt this year. We're seeing injuries at pretty unprecedented rates. We'll see if that lasts for the entire year, but that's across all of baseball. I'm actually not sure I would have to sit down and take a look and see if the Blue Jays have had worse injury luck than most. It feels like it certainly, but I'm not sure that that they have had that much worse injury luck than everybody else. Because as I said, this is just a league wide phenomenon this year which most people I know are attributing to the fact that we just didn't really have much of the season last year. And that that's, this is the, uh, the consequence of only playing what about a third of a year in 2020. But overall, I think the blue Jays are in good shape. They're an above average offense. It's above average run prevention. They're doing so without George Springer. They're doing so with a couple of holes in the lineup and with some uh, issues with the pitching staff, they still managed to be kind of above above average on both sides of the ball, and that's about all you can ask for. If you do that all season, you're probably going to the playoffs. Yeah, and there's still question marks around this rotation and and where you know who falls behind Hunjin Ryu and Robbie Ray's looked good in spots. Matt's had a good start but struggled lately. Uh, Ross Stripling's been okay. What what's the solution? For the is it rotation? Is it simply wait till Manoa and Pearson come up and they're ready, or do the Jays have to get aggressive and go and find someone? Well, you have to hope. You can hope that those two guys come up and take over. Uh, you know, whether they jointly fill the fifth spot, you know, you assume somebody else in the rotation needs some time off, and those two guys 
end up playing a significant part in the rotation. I certainly think you're going to see 15-plus starts from each of those two young guys this year. But I would be reluctant to say that they are the solution, and I think they're both excellent prospects. But we've seen, heck, Logan Gilbert just came up, made his major league debut last night for the Mariners against a not very good lineup in Cleveland, and it wasn't great. And the jump from wherever in the minors, double A AA or triple A to the majors, this is for hitters and for pitchers. It can be pretty significant. And I feel like I, I probably said this in a few places this week with all the call-ups, but it's hard to predict what these guys are going to do immediately right out of the gate. Remember when Vlad came up, it's the one thing was, well, if nothing else, he's going to hit. He's immediately going to hit for average and maybe we'll wait for some of the other stuff. And he didn't. And it took two years or parts of two years for us to see the real Vlad Jr. And I think that's what we're seeing now. I feel very confident that's what we're seeing now. So you can call those guys up. You could have Pearson's up. You could call Manoa up maybe sooner rather than later. But if their plan is, well, we're just going to call those guys up and that's it. And then we're done with the rotation. That would be overly optimistic. They should be looking internally and externally for other ways to try to gain some rotation depth, especially going back to what I said earlier. Guys are just getting hurt at unprecedented rates this year. So you almost have to plan around it. We don't know who's getting hurt, but somebody's going to get hurt. We're probably going to need another starter, particularly somebody who's maybe more of a mid-rotation type before the season is out. With Keith Law on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. You know, it's funny. There, there was a lot of opinion about mm-hmm. everything that went down with Nate Pearson this past week. After the performance in Houston, it was, should he have been called up in the first place? Now what do you do with him? And then on Tuesday, before the series opener in Atlanta, he gets sent back down and people are saying, well, if you're going to call him up for one start, shouldn't he get a second start to try to work through it? Was there a mistake made at any point in the process with Nate Pearson over the last seven to ten days, Keith? Or... Is it very simply, and this is very boring sports talk radio to to just sort of shrug your shoulders and say that this happens sometimes with prospects. It's not an even upward trajectory all the way through. Yeah, I, the, the second part certainly encapsulates it. I don't think I could give you a much better answer than that. It's possible. It's even likely. There are things we don't know about Pearson's situation hey, what if he's dealing with some minor physical issue not even enough to call it an injury but a guy who he's made two starts this year he made a start in triple a he walked one guy he comes up to the majors he makes one start he walks five guys is it just a matter of facing a better lineup is it a matter of hey major league baseball is a little bit different is it oh maybe something didn't feel a hundred percent for him it's quite likely there are things we don't know but to judge as you said, they don't. We don't. What young guys do when they get called up, first called up. I guess in his case, it's really second time called up, is pretty hard to predict. And also, we can't make judgments off of single outings or single starts like that. Readers have asked me, "Well, have you changed your opinion on Alec Manoa based on what he's done this season?" It's two starts. I love Alec Manoa. I've ranked him highly all the way back to college. I think he's a great prospect, but it's two starts. We have to keep reminding ourselves. The minor leagues just started. The majors really haven't been going for that long. And we're still dealing with some very small samples. A lot of this stuff will work itself out as the season gets longer. 
I wanted your opinion on what you think of Shohei Otani right now. He seems to be breaking all these crazy records. Uh, first player since 1916 to start a game on the mound, then lead off the next game. Um, Tuesday, uh, you know, what do you do? Strike out 10 batters and, and played in a position in the field. It's only happened three times in over a hundred years. Uh, what can you say about this guy? And is in any of these records, is it like, is it shocking at this point that he's doing all this stuff? Um, you know, in the game at this time, it's, it's, this isn't a hundred years ago where you can kind of, not that the games change a lot, but what he's doing is so impressive. It is. He's a unicorn. Certainly. We don't see players like him. And I would certainly argue, I mean, this has come up. I, I cover the draft. There are two-way players generally coming out of high school, not college here. And the right thing to do for them is to just develop them one way. It is way too hard to develop a player as both a position player and a pitcher. And you, you risk essentially getting nothing out of the guy if you try to force the issue and have him go both ways like that. You know, oh, what Otani's doing on the mound is not surprising at all. This is pretty much who I thought he'd be. This is who everybody thought he'd be. He was the best pitcher in NPB before he signed here. The expectation was he'd come over here and be an ace. What is kind of interesting about him is how, despite kind of a long, slightly awkward swing, he's got pretty ridiculous power, and he's not getting on base at a great clip, and he doesn't really hit lefties. He's not really an everyday player, but if you watch, if you just pulled up highlights of all of his home runs from this year, this kid, I kid, he's not really a kid, but he's got some ridiculous hand strength, forearm strength, wherever it's coming from. He is hitting balls out here. I just didn't think that it would translate like this. And he is hitting like, like somebody who probably hit 40 plus home runs if he never had to pitch. And you just said, you're going out to get 600 at bats this year. I don't know what the rest of the stat line looks like, but the power is really unbelievable to me. With Keith Law and leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan, you know that I'm asking this question specific to the Blue Jays, but it could apply to, to any team. And, and I doubt that there's mm-hmm. any one singular answer to it, Keith. But mm-hmm. when you have as deep a farm system as the Blue Jays have put together over the last few years, obviously mm-hmm. there, there are eight non-pitching positions available on the field at any given time. And so all of your prospects aren't coming to play for you. They're trade chips eventually. When, in your opinion, is the appropriate time for the Blue Jays to identify the guys in their system who they'd be willing to move to go all in for that starting pitcher to help round out the rotation or to address, say, a need at third base? When, because those conversations have to be happening often, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. When would be the right time? Is that is that approaching July thirty one? Is that an off season splash? What do you think? I think. Well, going back to what we were talking about earlier, this is a playoff team, or a, let's say a likely playoff team. They should be having those conversations now. They should be at least ready to get involved for any significant starting pitcher who might hit the trade market. And there's not. There's not a small chance Max Scherzer is going to be available in trade. And I think the Blue Jays would be as well positioned as any team to trade for him, given the prospects that they have, the need that they have, uh, as long as they're willing to take on whatever, whatever salary commitment would be left for the rest of the season, they should be in a great position to make the best offer. 
because of the prospects they have and because they have some duplications. They have, they have some uh, redundancy in prospects at certain positions, too. They have multiple catchers. They have multiple guys on the left side of the infield. They could do some, they could put together some pretty compelling offers, I think. The one problem that they're going to run into, and I'm sure they're already having some of these conversations, who do we keep, who do we trade? The one problem they will run into is that they have a lot of guys who just haven't played very much. I was talking to a scout friend of mine last night who was watching New Hampshire. You know, Austin Martin and Jordan Groshans. Martin just started his pro career a week ago. Groshans hadn't played in about two years due to injury and then due to the shutdown. They haven't had a ton of time to evaluate these guys in game situations. And I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm sure they've done as much as they possibly could. But your confidence level in, if you're saying we're keeping one, we keep one of Groshans and Martin, we trade the other for pitching. There's nothing wrong with that, but your confidence level that you're making the right decision is going to be lower just because you haven't seen these guys play as much. And those guys are both really good prospects where if you do trade one of them, you're afraid you're dealing up future star because there's a pretty good chance both of those guys, they both at least have all-star ceilings when they get to the big leagues. And so you just, you have to, they're going to have to sort of bite the bullet at some point and probably trade somebody without having as much information or or as much confidence in their decision as they would otherwise have. Keith, we always uh, appreciate the insight. Thank you very much for doing this this morning. And uh, you know, we'll be reaching out again. Yep. My pleasure guys. Keith law, uh, the senior baseball writer, for the athletic and if you go way back and it's so weird to say it was way back but jp ricciardi was out of here after 2008 he was the uh, former assistant uh, for a period of time to then blue jays general manager jp ricciardi well buckle up ziggy you got two days to rest and then it's uh, four days of goaltending panic leading up to game one next thursday night gotta, and habs yeah we gotta break down the lines too who do you think's break down the lines together? what scares yeah. us the most about the canadians we got to make a bet next week with Hugh Burrell. Oh, can't wait. Hugh's going <laughs> to start whining about odds and this and that because he knows he's going to end up doing the edge walk, right? So he's... <laughs> uh, and I'll bet on if the game goes six or... or the oh, here we go. Six six oh, he doesn't want to play. No, he doesn't want any part of it. The true, the true Hab fans are all coming out we now. We can push huh? it to six or seven They're games. They're all That's poking their heads us. out. Oh, two weeks ago it was Carey Price could come back and dominate. Now it's, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, We're back at 6 o'clock on Monday morning. Weather looks great this weekend. Enjoy it. Good show's next. There's a little bit of George Costanza in all of us. Was that wrong? And a fastball right down the middle at 99 to finish it. What a job by Romano, and what a series by the Blue Jays in Atlanta as they sweep the Braves and move to four games over 500 on the season. Toronto dropped the second quarter by 16 as Chicago just put it in overdrive in that second quarter and built up a lead that once got as high as 24. And the Chicago Bulls win this game 114-102. The Kings eat the puck on the near side. It's set up and out. No icing on the play, and that is going to do it. For the first time in 20 years, the Colorado Avalanche have won the President's Trophy. Oh, man. 
does the weather ever look good this weekend, Ziggy? What are you going to get up to outdoors? I was thinking about <laughs> golfing this weekend or going to play tennis with my nephews. I don't usually hit the basketball courts, but right now I would take a basketball court to go and shoot a couple of Ziggy hoops. goes rogue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, I, it's though. If the weather's not good and it hasn't been good, obviously of late, it's been, it was nice this week, but when it's rainy and cold, yeah. Okay. You want to shut everything down. It's fine. But yeah, I, when you get days like yesterday, it's like you want to go out, walk on a golf course. My nephews, they play tennis a lot. It's it's a it's tough for it's tough for people in the city right now. It's you're, we're trying to find things to do outdoors, right? People have been cooped up in their homes in lockdown all winter, and they want to get out. It's and it's not just for exercise. Um, it's it's for mental health as well. And I, I feel like. Unless something affects part of your life, you you don't really you're not really involved, right? If you like, if you don't play tennis and you don't golf, it's like I I don't really care. I can I walk down my street? Can I go for a bike ride? That's all I'm happy with. But so many people I know are golfers or or use the the tennis courts and you know don't mind going and playing a game of basketball once in a while. It's a tough spot right now for a lot of people, I, and I feel bad. Well, let's hear why the golf courses in Ontario aren't open from Premier Doug Ford. I talk to my, my buddies. I know what happens. You know, they pick up another buddy, two or three. They go out, go golf. And then there's nothing wrong with, with, with golfing. The problem is the mobility. Then after golf, they go back. They have a few pops. That, that's the problem. Um, so that, that's, that's the issue. And what we need, we're just asking people. I, I understand. Believe me, the weather's nice. Everyone wants to get out. You know, I'd, I'd love to get out golfing. I'm a terrible golfer, but I'd love to get out golfing. And uh, right now, uh, you know, the ICUs are still at risk. I think yesterday's number was 805, and that, that, that's not good. Uh, as much as we're seeing a decline, which, which, is, which is good, everyone, you know, is moving forward. We're getting the vaccines into people's arms. Uh, but we just can't risk it. Just hang in there. For it's, We aren't asking a lot. Just a, a couple more weeks, and uh, we'll do everything we can to get things back to normal. So did, did I hear that correctly, that the golf courses are closed because he knows some people who get pissed up while they play? Is that... I, I, it could be an oversimplification on my yeah. part. I, I, I just, I don't understand. Like, I don't know anybody. So from everything he said, I don't know. So the two main points are, I, I get, they get in the carts, the mobility thing. I've never taken, I, I'm lucky. I've never had to carpool to play golf. Have I gone with guys up north of the city and we all, you know, three, four of us ride together uh, yeah, that that's happened before, but of my and that's whole time a very playing, normal thing to do in normal times. Carpooling, to, to car, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is, yeah. But what's the difference between carpooling to everything else and carpooling for golf? Like, I, it's not just golf where people carpool. That's the so that's the kind of confusing part. And if you had to pull golfers out of every hundred rounds that are played, I would say maybe one round you'd have guys carpool together. Like I don't, if I go to play golf, I don't carpool. I don't pick up my friends. I have friends that don't have cars. They take, they'll take transit in the city to a, one of the local munis. So I don't know. I, I don't know of any guys that pick friends up maybe from the same household brothers or 
Um, my one buddy, he takes his dad with him. They carpool together from the same household. So the whole mobility thing, that's the case being made right now. I I just find that hard to believe. I, I don't know many, I don't know any golfers that carpool. I, that, has it happened? Yes, I've gone in a car north of the city up in Muskoka. Fine, but the whole mobility thing, I well the notion yeah. the notion is the notion that everybody or the majority of people go and golf to get pissed up either during the round or in the clubhouse afterward. I don't think that that's that's true either. I mean, everybody could drive themselves to the golf course. I, I most of my friends, Ziggy, the guys I grew up with who play the most golf, the people in my life, are married fathers. Like they're going home after a round to you know be a husband, to you know be a dad. Like I, I would imagine that it would be nice to have six or eight in the clubhouse after a round or have the service come up during a round and, and, and have a drink or two. But, but most of these guys, they, they just want to get out, have a few hours of leisure with a couple of buddies and, 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 and play 18. And then it's back to the normal routines of life. And you can't most of the time go stumbling in your front door and do that. So I, I don't know. I don't agree with the fact that, well, a lot of people are just going to get drunk and be irresponsible here. That, that, those aren't the golfers I know. Maybe they're the golfers others know, but not me. So the whole thing after the round and what do players do, and that's, been, uh, that's the second issue. Yes, a lot of players, when they play, they come off the course, the restaurant and bar is open, and people go up and have a couple drinks or have lunch or do whatever you want to do. And they congregate after the round. Yes, that's, that happens in a lot of cases since the pandemic and golf was allowed to come back and play in 2020. All of that has closed the restaurants, the bar, like everything closed. Nobody was going back to the clubhouse because it was all closed. Then they slowly started to open it up when the whole province opened up the restaurants and patios. Of course, if the patios were open in a downtown bar, they're going to be open at a golf course. That's that, that's there's nothing shocking there. Since we started golfing this year, though, with the lockdown, everything is closed. There were, I, I when you go into a golf course, a lot of times everything is done before you get there. You're checking, and then if you have to go in, there's one area with a line and covered plexiglass and everyone is distanced and masked up like you'd be shocked going into a golf course if we're talking about you know how would you compare it to going into just a department store or a grocery store trying to pick your stuff up it would be the separation of people and the you know all the protective gear everything is there in a golf course you don't get near anybody and you say, well, how about your golf cart? Well, you take it by yourself. What if you're with a buddy? You don't know. Well, there's a, you have a divider on it. Well, who, who do you get the cart from? Well, they're all sitting there spaced out in the parking lot, which is they've done that. That's something different than has been done prior to the pandemic. So that whole thing after the round, I don't, I don't really understand where that's coming from either. I will say this though about players and having drinks and meeting after is, and this came up a lot and kind of scroll through Twitter yesterday, seeing the reaction and a lot of people messaging me after, after Ford talked about it and people asked me, do you guys meet in the parking lot now? And I said, yes, I've seen 
players, after they play, go into the parking lot. Usually it's one guy's car and guys sit around and I've seen guys have drinks. Have guys I played with done it? Yes, I've seen it happen. But there's no difference between that and what thousands of other people are doing when they meet in the back of a somebody's house on a deck. Like there's no difference. It's they're outside. They're not near anybody. Um, they're physically distanced. I just, there's no difference. Even if guys were having pops after the round in the parking lot to what thousands and thousands of other people are doing. Um, so I, I don't understand that, but does it happen? Yes. I've seen it happen, but the whole carpooling and, getting together after the round, everything's shut down at a golf course. There's no service. Like there's nothing there. There's no, you, I don't even think you can order food anymore. Not that I, I don't order food when I used to play, but the, the, the whole kitchen is closed. So I'm, there has to be some other reason why the courses are closed down and why tennis, like, I don't understand why tennis courts are closed. Basketball. Maybe if you're throwing around a ball and you're sweating all over it, like in basketball, it's, you know, you're not really spaced out, right? If you're playing a game of basketball, two on two, three on three or five on five, are you going to get closer to someone than in tennis or golf? Yes. But the whole tennis courts thing, I don't, I don't, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm shocked how we're shut down for another two weeks, right? There's got to be something else. It can't be from the mobility to the golf course and to the tennis courts. I just, I I don't really, I don't really believe that there's, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear from our medical officers. Like what didn't someone come out yesterday and say, there's no issue like with golf and tennis. And then they try to make it a mobility issue. It just, a lot of it doesn't add up. Yeah. Dr. Isaac Bogosh will join us alongside Adam Stanley, who covers golf for Sportsnet at seven thirty-five, And this is a timely story just because, Really, this is going to be the first nice spring weekend where you can wander around in a T-shirt. Last weekend was okay, but it was still on the coolish side. This is the first weekend coming up where it's nice out. I was outdoors a lot yesterday, and legally, I was not running around on public property. But I, I was outdoors a lot. It was absolutely gorgeous yesterday and i think that's going to carry through the weekend and then of course Siggy, we've got the the long weekend uh two four weekend next weekend so we'll see where this all goes um adam stanley isaac bogosh with us at seven thirty-five. tim leeper elliot friedman and keith law all ahead on the program the schedule is out for the first round of the playoffs take a look at this so the leafs and habs will open up on thursday night in toronto they'll play on hockey night in canada on the saturday night the traditional night for HNIC. Games three and four in Montreal are on a back-to-back Monday, May 24th. So that's Victoria Day. Tuesday, the 25th. They come back to Toronto on Thursday, May 27th. So game five will be the third game in four days. And then six and seven, if necessary, at Montreal on Saturday, May 29th. And back in Toronto on Monday, May the 31st. We knew that this... I I figured there was a back-to-back... And this was going to be mm-hmm. a compacted series because of the delayed start of the North Division playoffs. I mean, the Bruins and Caps, Siggy, are getting underway tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're going to have, a, what, two, maybe even three games. I haven't checked their schedule, but at least two games under their belt before the Leafs and Habs even get underway. So if if one team falls behind 
early in this series. If this series goes to Montreal 2-0 for somebody, that team trailing has a huge, huge hill to climb. Huge. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who, like, prior to the schedule coming out, it was, if they do play the back-to-back, and I know we talked about it yesterday with Stewie and Bourne about the goaltending situation, and do you, is that the time you you, you use the you use both goaltenders? No, whether you're Anderson and Campbell or whoever, I'm 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 sure there's going to be lots of back-to-backs if they're trying to fit the playoffs in in a certain time, right? And with Montreal and Toronto, I just had that feeling they were going to throw back-to-back in somewhere, and I'm trying to figure out: Do you think it would help a team that's more physical, more than the other? So, for if you look at Leafs and the Habs. The only way Montreal's winning this series is if they're physical at Toronto. If that if they do make it, you know, a grinding, if they try to make it and then play it in the trenches, is that like is that going to be tougher on Toronto or Montreal? I think the more games you play, the tougher the schedule. I think it favors the Leafs. I think with the speed, the style of play, as long as Montreal, I like, I, I don't think Montreal can keep it up for a three and four or a four and six in this case, right? So playing on the Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, I just, I, I, from the games they played here to close out the regular season, you could see they want, they were trying to drag Toronto into one of those fights, make it a physical game, and couldn't do it for the whole sixty, just because Toronto's so good. They, the transition game. They hang on to the puck. It's a puck possession game down low. The Leafs were really tough, tougher to play against this year than prior years. I feel like it's something they they've really done well to spread it out through all their lines. Just all the additions they've made the taking that next step. Matthews Marner Nylander was, you know, I had a great year. He tough to play against. And that's kind of what Tavares's game is like, right? He, he's a guy that likes to hang on to the puck. So I think with the Leafs, this this schedule, the back to back, you throw that in there, that's that changes everything. Cause once you play the back to back, one, it's tough when you're in it. And then two, it's not like you have three or four days to come out of it when you play a three and four. Usually you need a couple days rest, you know, maybe three days off before your next game in the regular season. But now they're going back two days later. So I, this is going to be tougher on the Habs than it is on the Leafs. I think it favors them, um, you know, and you're going to Montreal. It's not like you're going to go sit there in the hotel room, sit around and wait. If, if I'm going, if I'm in a playoff series and I'm going to play, I want to, I want to get the games. Like I don't want a two days off in between my two games in a city. If I could play back to back, sure. The guy's going to be tired, but I think it's important that they get right back at it for the Leafs. Like I said, they're not sitting around, not waiting, not playing video games. It's going, play a game, get up the next day, go back at it right away. And it's like you win the first one, you're feeling good, go back and play it on the road. If that first game in Montreal doesn't go well, it's like, okay, we can get this one back tomorrow and then back home. So definitely the Leafs in this situation, I think it's I think it's I think it's good for them. It's just it's too bad we gotta wait now. Well, here we right? here's like the back to back, the back to back thing. The first thing that jumps to mind to me is the goaltending. So mm-hmm. the Maple Leafs only had one goaltender once appear in back-to-back situations this year. And that was Freddie Anderson 
after a loss on Saturday night. He didn't start the Sunday game in Ottawa, but Michael Hutchinson got torched early in that game. And you remember Freddie, who'd been struggling with whatever injury he had, ended up going in to that game in Ottawa. They still lost. They then had the five days off in a row for the little break mid-season. And Freddie, of course, would go on and miss a whole lot more time, the better part of two months, not long after that. But my point is, Ziggy, is that goaltenders are not playing on back-to-back nights really anymore. So here's a hypothetical for you. Let's say, just for the hell of it, spice it up a bit, the Leafs are trailing two games to one heading into game four. And Jack Campbell's been perfectly good. They've lost a two-to-one game. They've lost a three-to-two game. They've won whatever, a four-to-two game. There's been no standout issue with the goaltending. And you have to win that night, game four, to ensure that you don't fall three games to one down and face elimination potentially three consecutive times as you try to get back into the series. Do you go with Jack Campbell in game four, which would be his first legit back-to-back performance of the season, or do you pivot and at that point go to Frederick Anderson? I think before you start the series, you go and you tell which guy's going to play what night. Okay, I think in the first four games, obviously Campbell's going to start game one. If he's bad, do you pull him? Right now, I don't. So Campbell gets the first two. Can you? Can we agree on that? Is that something you I would agree. say? I, yeah, well, Cam, so, Campbell's the so guy. Say, so say Campbell lets in four bad goals in game one. Do you play him in game two? Yes. Okay, so he gets the first two. We're both in agreement there. Now you have the back-to-back situation going into Montreal. Do you play him again that one, or do you save him? And play him on the second well, what, half of the back-to-back. What 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 hypothetical are we talking about here? Are we talking about a rough game one? What, no. What did we say, get in game two? Well, that's the thing. After what well, we just said, if he plays two bad games, I'll t- well, is, he, is he your goaltender? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that particular question is because we have to know what the first two games look like, Ziggy. But I'll tell you this: Anderson's not playing back-to-back in Montreal both nights. He can't. He's been hurt for two two and a half months. So if you pivot to him. In one of those two games, it's got to be for one of those two games. So if you're if you're if you're sure that you're going to split the goaltending situation in Montreal, then I would say I think they have to tell both guys who's playing which games through the first four. Like I I think you should start off. I I wouldn't wait to decide who plays which night. You might have injuries. You might have some, you know, Campbell, or if Freddie gets in a game, might be banged up a little bit. Like, say Campbell's tired and he can't go the first, like, that first game in Montreal. Then he said, okay, we'll rest you now. We'll play Freddie. Like, I'm I'm just wondering, I think it's better for the goaltenders to let them know which games they're playing to start off. There's a lot of pressure on Campbell right now. Like, you think that there's pressure on the Leafs and the big four to play well? You know, I I think well, I think the pressure's I think the pressure is on Campbell, and he's never had to really. The thing with Campbell coming in <clears throat> to this season and playing all these games, and the record and the eleven games winning, you know, win streak. 
there was not a lot of there there wasn't a lot of heat on him, right? It was almost like everything was a bonus, right? He wins the first couple. Okay, I win the first couple. Things are going well. You know, I'm filling in for Freddie. Freddie goes down. Okay, the keys are mine now. Let me see if I can run with it. I don't know. As long as I'm healthy, Hodgson's not coming in. This is before Riddick got here. And he kind of ran with it. And once you get on a roll, yeah, there's not a lot. But like you said, he stumbled this year. He didn't let let him he didn't let it affect him too badly. Like I didn't think his game was it didn't unravel this year. And that's a big thing. So with Campbell, I the the pressure's on him in the playoffs. And maybe you tell him, hey, you're gonna play the first two games. Freddie's going in regardless in, in game three, and you're coming back in game four. And that's it. Maybe that takes a little bit of the pressure off him in game one and two. And then if things don't go well, Freddie goes in and then Campbell goes back in game four. Um, that's one way to approach it. Or you just wait. The fact that they've both been injured is going to, it's, is hard. Like if they're both healthy and feeling good, you could maybe predetermine what you, who you want to go, which night, but the, you know, the fact that they haven't been, that may not be an option for them. Right. But I, I would just, I would tell them, so I would do it to take a little bit of pressure off Campbell and for Freddie, you know, you're going to have to play him. Like what game would you rather him go in that first one or the second one? Like when would you want to give Campbell the rest, right? Would you want it coming off of that second game or after the third? Well, again, it depends on how he performs in the first two games, but I, I would, I would go with Campbell for the first three games, give Freddie game four, and then you'd, bounce back with Campbell. So he'd get a couple of days off in between games three and games five. That That's how I do it. And I'm treating this, Ziggy, like Jack Campbell is the number one guy. If things go sideways very quickly for him and Freddie comes in and plays great, then I think in the playoffs, anybody watching reserves the right to immediately change their opinion. Like if Freddie comes in and stands on his head and gets another opportunity and he stands on his head again, well, then you'd be an idiot to take him out. So what something looks like on Friday morning, May the 14th, five and a half, six days before this series begins could be very different than what it looks just a couple of couple of games into the series. It's, it's a weird situation. I mean, they don't have, they don't have, I want to say they don't have a defined number one because I think that they do in Campbell, but the pivot off of Campbell would come much quicker than most traditional and established number ones. If I had to guess what the Leafs were thinking right now, what Keith was thinking, I think they run with Campbell as long as he, he as long as he's hot, they run with him. I think he, I think he'll play in both back-to-back games. That's what I think they want right now. They're running with Campbell. If he stumbles, fine we'll give him a stumble if he looks bad in two of them then freddie's gonna go in i i just i don't think i don't think they'll split um just where the organization is at right now with both of their goaltenders all right well we'll throw the uh, twitter troll poll up on your friday morning and it'll be non-scientific just given the schedule the fact that the leafs and habs will play back-to-backs game three and four on the monday and tuesday nights a week and a bit from now in Montreal, and then game five would be two nights later in Toronto. So you play three and four. Should the Leafs 
use Frederick Anderson in this series? Or maybe I can reword the question and say, will Frederick Anderson or should Frederick Anderson appear at all in this series? And if you're losing 8-2 to two, heading into the third period, you're probably going to pull Jack and put Freddie in. So he could appear in a situation like that. But I'm talking all things being equal. Should Frederick Anderson make an appearance in this series? It'll be a yes or no, or no Twitter troll poll question. That's Scotty, uh, Scotty Mac thinks at Mike Zygamanis. We'll throw it up in the break. We'll come back, talk about it more, and we'll get into the Blue Jays, who are 20-16 and 16 after a 6-4, and 10-game road trip. Tons of adversity. And this team got it done late. Three straight games in Atlanta. They kick off their so far longest homestand of the season tonight against Philadelphia, feeling pretty good about themselves. The leadoff Twitter troll poll is up. Very unscientific for your Friday morning. It's Scotty Mac. Thanks to Mike Zygamanis. Should Frederick Anderson make an appearance in the Leafs playoff series with the Habs, considering that games three and four are on back-to-back nights, a week Monday and Tuesday, and then, of course, game five would be two nights later on the Thursday in Toronto. So a three games and four nights situation. That's not at all surprising, just given the fact the North Division playoffs have been pushed back a little bit in terms of their start date because of the Vancouver COVID situation and the fact that the, well, it's like the Canucks and Flames are playing a bunch of individual games that add up to a a series. You see those players, Ziggy, like the pregame interviews yesterday. Oh, yeah. Highmore's like, oh, yeah, we're playing for something. We're we're playing for pride. We're we're playing to get better. Like, I, I don't doubt for a second he believes what he's saying. But holy crap, is he talking himself into believing it? I mean, these yeah. two teams, their seasons are over. Nobody wants it, to be out there in that. I, I think it was a tough situation for the teams in the playoffs, the regular season. But having nothing, I've played in these games before. And then you add in no fans. I'm sorry, but I don't know how they're getting up for it. I, I mean, some of the games I saw Vancouver play this year, I even my boy, TJ Miller, who I talk about all the time, right? I got, I thought he had, I thought he had a bit of a rough season. He kind of brought, you know, kind of salvaged it a little bit. And and we saw a little bit of what his usual game is like, but there's a lot of players. I didn't see the same and it, whether it's COVID, the no fans, the condensed schedule, your life changing, like it's nothing's the same, right? Uh, and he's not the only one. I could take a handful of players on, on every team where you just, you kind of watch their game and you say, that's not you. That's not the guy that that's not the player I know. And you know, it's a situation with, with the pandemic right now, but not, not having anything to play for no fans. It's gotta be really tough to get up for a game. If you're a young team, young player, like if you're the Sanders fine, and maybe that's why they've been one of the best teams in the North division the last couple months, but, for a veteran trying to play these games out, I can't even imagine. You're going to say, well, it's, it's, you get paid millions of dollars and you're playing a kid's game. Yeah, but God, like, I'll tell you right now, that's all great. 
but once once the contract is signed and you're an NHLer every day, the first thing you want to do is win. The second mm-hmm. thing you want to do is a lot of guys is you play for the fans. It's an entertainment game. You play for the 20,000 people, whether you're trying to make them cheer or you're trying to shut them up. That's a big, those are the two big things. After you make your, after you sign your contract, that's it. Like it, there's no, like, it, it's not part of the equation anymore. Once that deal's done with your agent guys, it's, you don't think about it. You're, you're getting paid one way or the other. Like it, it's not like guys saying, Oh, I I'm get, I'm making a lot of money. I better go and play well today. Guys aren't saying that they're like, it, it, it doesn't work that way. And I know that's, if you're looking from the outside in, and you see a guy that makes $10 million and doesn't play well. And he's like, well, I'm making 10 million. I better show up this week. It's got nothing. You guys have pride. Guys want to win. Guys want to do well. When you're winning, you're having fun. And when you're not, it's miserable. And then you add in no fans and the well, entertainment aspect of it. It's different. Right? Yeah, and I think to your point about the Senators being a young team, it isn't just the age of the players. And I think this is what you mean when you say it, Ziggy, which is, that group looks at one another in that locker room and says, we're coming up together. Like two years from now, the Brady Kachucks of the world, the Thomas Shabbats, these guys are saying that we, we will form the core of this team. And if, if we are any good, we will be here and we will be succeeding. In Calgary and Vancouver right now, Vancouver's got a lot of prohibitive contracts uh, among veteran players who are not going to be there the next time Vancouver matters. The Calgary Flames are in the middle of turmoil. We played the Daryl Sutter stuff with Ryan Leslie yesterday. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And when was Eric Francis on our show saying Johnny Gaudreau is as good as out the door? That, that, That was probably about a month ago that Eric Francis was on the program. Mm-hmm. Might have been yeah. less than that, but it, it won last week. So there's a lot of change coming in those two cities. So two teams playing out the stretch that could look very different next year. So there's there's just, I don't know, a lot of rot there. And then when we talk about young teams on the come-up together, how about that for a segue? The Toronto Blue Jays. Looking pretty good, eh? Pretty, pretty. Ah, yeah. My boy. Pretty good. My boy from Father Michael McGivney. See, I don't, I, when you say my boy, I have no idea who you're talking about anymore. It could be Jordan Romano. My boy could Randall. Be, could be Gritchick. <laughs> could be, be Dolis. We don't know. Well, well, Dolis is, injured, is, is hobbling right around right now. But, yeah, yeah I'm going to put his jersey uh, purchase on hold for now. I got to see how he comes back from injury. But Randall, the jersey is still in transit, so waiting for that. But yeah, I, I, Jordan Romano, let's 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 run with the let's let's have him be the closer. What's like? Why can't like? How often do you think he can throw ninety nine? Like every? Could he do it every other day? Every like? What's yes. your what? Yes, he could. Every other every other day is fine. One inning, three batters. I could do that every day. What do you? How hard is it to? How hard is it to throw nine pitches in a game? Come on. All right. So <laughs> tweets to at Mike Zigamanis, text to 59590, and we'll pass them I along to Guy Walker. Close every night. <laughs> Pete huh. Walker. That's who we need to talk to. But no, right. who I doesn't mean, have a rubber arm? Yeah. Throw 162 well, I mean, games in a year. I, yeah. What did Romano get to? 99? Like, 
I, I wonder how hard a guy like Romano can throw. I know we're talking about velocity and we're talking about Pearson and the one, can he get, a guy get to 110? I just, when you see Romano pitch, it's it's in control. He, it, I, I don't feel like he's he's trying to, you know, throw out of his shoes sometimes. Like, I, I don't see that out of him. I don't see him trying to, you know, throw, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, con, it's controlled velocity. And that's what we talked about with Pearson and kind of what, what's missing there, how he's trying to overpower hitters and, you know, in his outing had trouble locating the strike zone. I, I don't think, I think Jordan Romano can be the closer on this team. Um, He's got the stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He does. It's, it's funny. My biggest takeaway from this series and i'm not taking anything away from the Blue two Jays. sweeps two sweeps the braves can yes. you believe it well and again small sample sizes and one series does not dictate a season but if i'm the atlanta braves if i'm alex anthopoulos and i just watched my bullpen vomit all over itself three consecutive days this sport this sport, if I were to dumb this thing down and possibly just ever so slightly oversimplify it, if I were to dumb this sport down to where it's at today, I would say that it is predicated on the home run and it is predicated on late inning arms that can blow gas by hitters. The last thing you, you can have in this day and age as a major league baseball team is a bullpen that cannot hold leads or keep games tied. And the Blue Jays on Tuesday night, on Wednesday night, on yesterday afternoon, went to town on Atlanta. Atlanta had a lead at points in each of those three games against the Blue Jays from the fifth inning onward. At some point from the fifth inning onward, like midway through the game, Plus, they had a lead, and the Jays just went and did some work on their relief pitching. And that, well, is, that's, that sucks for the Braves. We don't care about the Braves. It's also a huge boon for the Jays. It's a reminder, Ziggy, that with this offensive lineup, they're always in a ball game. If it's close, somebody can come up and do damage. And then we always talk about relievers that come in in the 6th, 7th, or 8th and how important those innings, and they're more important than closing out a game. And yes, the Jordan Romano performance yesterday was impressive, but um, Travis Bergen, I just, I, that's one of those situations you get in. It's a tie, it's a tie game, right? You're, you're, you're in the eighth and that's, th those are the situations where you can let it get away from yourself. Right. And those are the important innings where these relievers have been coming in and, and the bullpen they've been, it's been such, it's been, it's been the best part of their game this year. You take any aspect of what the Jays have done this year. Yes, Ryu looks good. Uh, the Vladdy, whole story of Vladdy from last year to this year, amazing. Robbie Ray Rand has been nice. But yeah. Randall Gritchick, yes. But I don't know. The I mean, the bullpen has been the best part of the Jays this year. Mm -hmm. That's why they're 20 and 16. And it's had a lot of injuries, Ziggy. So the guys who have backfilled when others have been at Merriweather got off to a great start. And he's missed a lot of time. Romano missed time. Tyler Chatwood was excellent, then missed time, and has come back and been even better. Dolis is out right now. 
He had a rough couple of outings to begin the season, was brilliant after that. Uh, Barucki, uh, very good, especially against left-handers. Like, they got a lot of guys they can trust, and Charlie Montoyo and the pitching coach, P. Walker, both deserve a lot of credit for how they're apportioning innings and keeping these guys as fresh as can be. In an era of baseball where starters typically don't go more than five, and, and so it was big that Ray went six and Ryu went seven in the first two games of this series. That helps a lot. And they and that was coming off of an off day on Monday. So it rested that pen just a little bit. Yeah, they, I mean, that's it, they're, they're looking good right now. And the fact that, hey, keep, just keep it around 500. They get a, a, like a couple games above or below, fine, but just until Springer's back, till the rotation is figured out, which might not happen for till the trade deadline. Like they might not might have to go and get some. I still think they have to go out and find one more starter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think, I don't think Alec Manoa, I wouldn't put that kind of pressure on guys. I know the Jays were kind of forced to call it Pearson, but they can find one more arm part of the rotation. I, I like what I see of this team. Like I said, imagine the, the injuries weren't there. Imagine the rotation was just decent and set up. Imagine they had some, you know, consistency there with the imagine, bullpen, the uh, way they're playing. Imagine George Springer being in this lineup. Yeah. It's, um, and it's different when he's playing. I don't care what you say. It adds confidence to the rest of the batting order. You see it in the young guys. You see the confidence they play with. I feel like it carries over into the way they play on the defensive side. And it's it's a team where I, I like the makeup right now. And tw like 20 and 16, are you kidding me with everything they've gone through? This is the best case scenario that could have happened with all the obstacles they faced this year. Marcus Semien is heated up, doing a nice job now in the leadoff spot in the absence of Springer. Buck Martinez laid it out perfectly yesterday toward the end of the game. He said, look, Vladdy had three RBI on Tuesday night. Teoscar Hernandez had three RBI on Wednesday. It was Bo Bichette yesterday. Like, Randall Gritchick's contributing at times. Like, somebody different every day could be the hero. And, and that's how you build this thing. And I, I'm telling you, 25 of 36 games on the road, two-fifths of their starting rotation still unsettled, all of the injuries in the bullpen, the lack of George Springer's availability due to injury. Teoscar had COVID and missed the better part of three weeks with the illness and then recovering from the illness. They're not playing at home even when they are at home. They've been through a lot, and... To be 20 and 16, in spite of all of that, it tells you something about this group. It's it's something to be excited about. And they start their longest homestand so far this season tonight. First to three with Philly. Then they've got an off day on Monday. And then they've got six divisional games. Three with Boston. Three with Tampa Bay. As they round out and, and wrap up the Dunedin portion of their season. So a big Big week in a bit here coming up for the Blue Jays. Every game, every game is consequential right now. And you look at the ALE standings, the Blue Jays are right there. Uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh and Adam Stanley covering golf for Sportsnet and the uh, Toronto Star will be a panel uh, with us at 735. We'll discuss uh, if and when uh, golf is going to reopen anytime soon here in the province of Ontario. Elliot Friedman for his weekly hit at 805. Keith Law... Uh, the Athletics senior writer 
covering baseball, uh, well attuned to the prospects around the game. We'll talk Alec Manoa. We'll talk about Nate Pearson and where the Blue Jays could and should go with the opening spots and their starting rotation moving forward. The Raptors season winds up mercifully this weekend. Just a couple of games left. Uh, we'll also look back on the year that was and where they go from here. Lead up. So Robin Stratroy says, Ziggy, you can hit 100. You should try throwing 90 off a mound. Because you were saying, why don't relief pitchers pitch every day? I mean, everybody's got an elastic arm, right? So Robin Strathroy <laughs> thinks you, can, you should wind up and try to hit 90 on the radar gun. Why not? In high school one year. Father I Michael McGivney. No, this is before Father Mike McGivney. I went to Birchmount Park Collegiate Institute. All right. Down on Kingston Road. BPCI, I think. <laughs> I was like, what? Birchmount Park know. Collegiate I was like, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, I went there grade nine, and I threw shot put that year, or I threw it prior to high school, maybe seven, eight. And one of the years, I mean, it's a blur now, but I threw shot put in school, and... Uh, my arm was, I would like have to ice down my shoulder after practice. Like that's how hard it was. Like I'm sure shot put isn't great for the shoulder and however bad it is, I'm sure throwing a baseball, apparently it's the, it's like not normal for a human body to throw a pitch, right? Not at all. So yeah. So I, I get, like, I, I'm, I'm kidding around with the Romano stuff. Like I, okay, whatever. Have him go in three times a week. Like I just, I think you have to give him a shot as the closer now. Um, it's just he still has the odd game where you kind of question, right? Is this guy reliable enough to go to every single game that he's available? Are, do you, are you confident enough to throw him in there yeah, to I think, close the game out the ninth? I, I, yesterday was the most encouraging day for me with him because he was in the strike zone. I know he started the first hitter off 2-0, and but after that he was flawless, more or less. And that's the key. He doesn't give up a lot of hits because his stuff is overpowering with the fastball and his slider is is absolutely nasty. So you can get away with a walk or two. But if you walk a guy with speed, he's probably going to steal a base. We, we've seen that with Romano, right? And then all of a sudden you're dealing with a guy in scoring position. And if you're dealing with a guy in scoring position, they are only one hit away from cashing that run which is a complicating factor in a one-run game if you're trying to lock it down. But if you gave me the list of relievers the Blue Jays have and said here are all their repertoires, Jordan Romano is my guy right now. Absolutely, unquestionably my guy. And he is getting better with each appearance coming out of the injury that he had. And, and I think that Charlie Montoyo just keeps putting him out there in the ninth inning. It helps to have a four-run lead. A little less pressure, and then maybe, just maybe, this weekend there's a high leverage situation against the Phillies. He comes in, racks up a save, and he's on a nice roll. And our boy Dolis is back throwing bullpen sessions today, I believe. Need that so, calf. Need that yes. calf to stay <laughs> attached. To stay attached. Uh, correction uh, on my part, 905 uh, number saying it's a four-game wraparound series against Tampa. That is right. So it's three with Philly. 
three with Boston, and then four against Tampa Bay. They do play a day game on Victoria Day Monday, the fourth and final game of that series. So it's a 10-game homestand, not a nine. I stand corrected. Gotta look at that schedule just a little bit. I screwed that up. Closer. Yes, I did. A lot of games. There are a lot of you games. Mess, mess the yes, there are a lot of games in a baseball season. Thank you for that analysis. You bang on. Adam Stanley, Dr. Isaac Bogosh for a little golf round table. State of golf in the province at 735. Hugh Burl jumps in for the panel discussion on the Leafs and Habs. And we will deal with the Twitter troll poll question. Looking at that schedule, back to backs in Montreal, games three and four. And three games and four nights, if you factor in game five in Toronto, will or should Frederick Anderson make an appearance in the series? We'll debate next. Got to say I'm a little surprised at the unscientific leadoff Friday troll poll. Here it is, given that they're playing games three and four on consecutive nights and that game five would be the third game in four nights, should Frederick Anderson make an appearance in the Leafs series against the Habs, yes or no? 56% of respondents are saying yes. That's Scotty Mack. Thanks to Mike Zygamanis at Hugh W. Burrow at Fan 590 to cast your vote. So the question is, will he make an appearance? Yeah, he'll make an appearance for sure. Should he? Well, that depends. But he will. He's, he'll be in there for at least one game, I think. Don't you? Well, Ziggy's of the opinion that they want to roll with Jack Campbell. And uh, my here's my hesitation on it. What, what we know is that goaltenders don't typically play on back-to-back nights. I mean, Jack Campbell has not done that yet this season. Frederick Anderson did it once and not for a full game, and it wasn't planned. They lost on a Saturday night at home, and he went to Ottawa expecting to be the backup to Michael Hutchinson on that Sunday night game before they had that five-day break, what, two and a half, three months ago, and he was in for the final 40-plus minutes when Hutchinson spit the bit. And that's the only time this season that a Maple Leafs goaltender has appeared in games on consecutive nights. So if you're going to start doing this now, I, I don't know what kind of result you're going to get. That's my only well, hesitation. Yeah, and well, these guys the have both been hurt. Here's the thing, though. Say you, say say you come and you win the first three games. Are you going to dress Freddie for the back to back? Probably not. Say Campbell's dealing. Say things are rolling. Are you going, are you going to bring Freddie in where you you've seen him once, and have him play? I don't. I don't think so. And the same goes the other way. Like if the series is on the line and they find themselves down 2-1 going into game four, do you bring Freddie then as well? You brought that point up. Well, I know, but this, this is the, I, I don't think you do. So, a, I, so I don't know how, we, I don't know how he's going to play it. I, I really don't know how he's going to play in the back to back. I'd I, I don't, I'd like to split them up and get Freddie in for a game, but I don't know like what, what's like the less, situation. I'm less worried about, the actual performance in a back-to-back. 
God knows these athletes should be capable of doing it. But Jack and Frederick, first name basis, have both nursed injuries of some significance this year. Right? Like, is Jack Campbell 100% right now? We're both yeah. shrugging and nodding Maybe. because how do you know? <laughs> yeah. How do you know? You can't sidle up to the guy, not that he'd necessarily be honest, but you can't sidle up to the guy at his locker after a practice this year. Yeah. You can only trust what the team is throwing at you and what he's saying when asked. I think the interesting scenario comes, like Ziggy was hinting at, if if Jack Campbell is really good through the first three games, yeah. And if the if the Leafs are up three games to none, yeah, maybe you roll with them in, in game four, even though it is a back-to-back. But... I don't, like you say, it, it's such a strange situation. It, it's it's uncharted territory for Sheldon Keefe. He's never had to make this decision yet with well, these it's goaltenders. Also, it's, yeah. also, it's also the broader discussion of where this is all going in the game. Yeah. We talked about this earlier in the week. It's a, it's a theme that's come up every now and then over the last year or two, which is the years of guys playing 70-plus games as a starting goaltender, that, that's over. That's that's done. Andrew Raycroft played 72 games for the Maple Leafs in 06-07. <laughs> Grant Fuhr played 79 games for the Blues. I want to say it was around 95, maybe 96. Like, it just ain't happening. And Brodeur always played a bunch, Brodeur too, yeah. insisted on playing, yeah. and he did, and Scott Clemenson or Corey Schwab just sat there. Got paid pretty well to yeah. sit there, but they effectively didn't play. Those, those days are done. Yeah. You got a guy who's playing 55 to 60 games, maybe, as your 1A, your 1B is a guy that you trust to play 30. I, I wonder if if we're going to start. I, I think you can always ride the hot hand, but I do wonder if we're going to start seeing teams be quicker to pull the trigger on their supposed number one in the playoffs, depending on how things are going or depending on how the schedule lays out. You're right, especially when backups now. I mean, very few teams have a backup. They're usually guys that are almost as good as the starter on a lot of these teams. So you're right. The, the the emphasis on one guy carrying the load is much less now than it was, I don't know, even five years ago. This this is a strange one. Uh, or or do, you, do you adopt the win and you're in uh, philosophy? Keep winning, yeah, the net is yours. As soon as you lose, you come out. That could be a way to go as well. Yeah, I yeah. I, it's... The hard part is is you don't know or like we don't even know where Freddie's at after after the game he got in against Ottawa, right? We don't know if he took a step back. He he may he may still you know after coming back after two months that's that's like the summertime. That's let's like coming back in for training camp, and I know what that feels like because it's it's not the best feeling most of the time after a training camp after having the whole summer off. You don't feel well. Usually, like, say Freddie felt good. You know, you don't know physically. Like, is he fatigued now? Is he tired? Like, where is he at there? Where's the knee at? We, I mean, it's such a big question mark, and so much is riding on that. On you know, we're trying to su- figure out where both guys are going to play. I think it starts there, and even with Campbell, I know Campbell's look good in that. Well, and he's obviously he's going to start game one, but we don't know where he's at. Like, is that? Is this something where he can handle a four and six in the middle of the playoffs? Right? He's he's never, you know, he hasn't been in this position before. This is a, this is the first time, and I think there's, 
I think there's a ton of pressure on him, something he's never felt before. It's one thing to come in and play well and win a couple games or when things are, you know, there's not a lot of adversity. It's fine. But we saw what happened when, when games weren't going his way. People were calling for Anderson to come back or get Riddick in there. Like, let's not forget. People were calling for David Riddick to get in net when Campbell started to stumble a little bit. And I feel like that's where the fan base is at right now. They just want a guy that's reliable, doesn't let, let in a puck that, you know, a, a goal that shouldn't go in. And just it's 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 hard because we haven't had that here in Toronto, right? As good as Freddie's been in the playoffs, it it just it hasn't been there, right? And now you had the injury. I just, I, I, I hope that like it comes down to the first game. I, I, I'm telling you right now, how they get, how they start this series is this isn't like, oh, they lose the first game or two. This isn't the Washington Capitals. Things don't go well. And then they find it. Pittsburgh Penguin teams in the past. Uh, I've, when I was there, we started games, you know, they started down the series. Like, I don't think the Leafs can get down in the series. And, and pull out of it because there's such a question mark in net. Like you don't have that. I can see you starting, you know, losing one of the first two in a series or getting down 0-2 and, and good teams will always prevail. But I feel like there's so, so many question marks in net right now that how, like, look, we're debating on who's going to be playing. Like I, as good as Campbell's been, we're still debating that. And that's where we're at. What if we actually knew, we think we know, knee, whatever. But what if we actually knew what was going on? And I think the National Hockey League is on the precipice here of having to change how its teams disclose injuries with the onset of single-game sports betting. The NFL, right? Yep. Every week. And f- remind me of the day, Hugh. Is it Thursday or Friday? They've well, got to come out. I know they, they have to officially announce their list. I think it's 90 minutes before kickoff. Okay. But, but typically by Friday yeah. or Saturday, you've got sure. in or you if they're in there, but you've got probables, you've got questionables, yep. you've got doubtfuls. Yep. yep. And then on Sundays, they will. And Jay Glazer always does it on yep. the Fox Sunday pregame show, the who's in, who's out yep. type deal. So there's that. Is this league going in it's it's headed in this direction, right? All we need the Queen's signature in this yep. country. Yep. Right? The Senate, Royal Assent, pass the bill. It's yeah. gonna happen. Queen Elizabeth is just gonna scribble her name on 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 some piece of paper that legalizes single game sports betting in Canada. Get the Queen's signature yep. now. And of course, different states, the Supreme Court of the United States a few years ago left it all in individual states' hands, and we know that. Well, Nevada and Jersey and a bunch of others are now jumping in on all of this. The league is going to have to be far more forthcoming and teams are going to have to be far more th- forthcoming on, on the status of these guys. Upper body, lower body, yeah, general body soreness, all of that ain't going to fly anymore. No. So can you imagine asking Daryl Sutter after the pregame skate is... Johnny Gaudreau going to play tonight? Is he better? Well, you know what? He's going to have to be honest. And I would absolutely, absolutely thank Daryl Sutter for his answer. Absolutely thank Daryl Sutter for his answer. There's no question about it. 
You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So coaches, they're going to be dragged kicking and screaming. This is unlike anything they will have had to have, they they will have dealt with before. Um, they're not going to be probably as forthcoming as the betting houses and the league would like them to be. It's going to be a process. I mean, they're not just all of a sudden overnight going to change the way they they talk about and react to injuries, but they are going to have to uh, move a little bit on it for sure. How are teams going to feel about this, Siggy? If they're forced to budge on it, because upper body, well, they, they upper body, be. yes, but upper body, lower body, really came in with the Pat Quinn era of the Maple Leafs. It's too much yeah. money on the line to not. With any of the top know. players, I, 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 it, it, well, it's not even knowing; it's when you know. Like I don't think teams can tell people half hour before a game. Like, I, I think it has to happen right. Like, there has to be some kind of accountability where as soon as it's reported to medical staff, then everybody knows. This isn't not, this isn't, we go out for a warm-up. Oh, yeah, upper body injury. Jack Eichel's out of the lineup. Austin Matthews is out of the lineup. I think it has to happen as soon as it's reported to any kind of medical staff, either a trainer, someone in the room, a doctor. It's going to ha everyone's going to have to know and I the process on how that's going to happen is going to be tricky. It's um it might have to be something where you get a report before practice, you their report comes out after practice and a report comes out when the player, you know, do our players going to get evaluated before game like I, will something come out when they get to the rink 2 hours and then after warm like Will there be a something where we expect a report at certain times during the day? Like that's where I think it's going to go. So I think it's on a game day, you're going to have to know before a pregame skate. So it's going to have to be, uh, you know, and, and every report's going to get is going to have more value. Right. So, you know, nine o'clock report comes out 11 o'clock. Everyone knows. And then, Five before the players go on the ice, and then the last one, obviously, during warm-up at, at 6.30, 6.30. I think that it's going to have to have some kind of system like that because it's um, – I think it's important. And if you – just think of the amount of money that's going to be involved. You're, it's, there's going to have to be a lot of transparency. The Toronto Blue Jays are 20-16 and 16 despite – George Springer not being available for most of the year. 40% of the starting rotation being in flux. A lot of bullpen injuries. Guys getting hurt, then coming back. But whoever is pitching is performing. Whoever's available has performed in incredibly. 25 of their 36 games have been on the road. Their 11 home games are obviously not really at home because they're in Dunedin. Teoscar Hernandez spent three weeks with either COVID or recovering from COVID and getting his energy and his his timing back before returning to the team. And they haven't played the Baltimore Orioles or the Detroit Tigers yet. And the Orioles are playing the Yankees again this weekend. This is the third series the Yankees have played with Baltimore this year. The Red Sox have already played three with the Orioles. The Jays have had a road-heavy schedule, as I've said, a tough schedule based on the winning percentage 
of their opponents combined. If they continue to make hay here in the next little bit, it could set them up for a real nice back half of the summer. I'm telling you right now, the way this team is trending, there's something about them. You can't always put your finger exactly on what it is, but there's something about this team. They're young. They're coming together. They have faced adversity and pushed through it. They will again, and they'll have to push through it again. This is a good group, and it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating summer. They're going to be in this thing. And it's fascinating that they're getting – every day it's a different kind of – hero for them every day one of the kids is stepping up whether it's vladdy or Bo or and they're never out of it like their bats the the pitching at times is suspect although they've been getting great pitching lately their bats always keep them in it that win yesterday was their 10th comeback victory of the season already so they're they're a dangerous team and you're right there's just something Something about it, and they haven't played the weaker teams yet. Now, who knows? They, I mean, just because they haven't played them yet doesn't mean they're gonna they're gonna sweep Baltimore like they swept the the Braves. But well, you play nineteen yeah. games against the Orioles. I think, and this this may sound like wow, but, but thirteen and six yeah, is the minimum. 13, thirteen yeah. and six is the minimum. Yeah, you go higher than that, great. You go below that, you start getting to ten and nine, eleven and eight. And you're going, geez, we left a lot on the table against yep. a really bad team. I think you play Detroit. Six times, I'd have to check. It could be seven. But six or seven games against Detroit, you want to have five wins out of that. Detroit's already, them and the the Twins, they're they're already 10 games out of first place in the Central. Yeah. Already. (laughs) And the Twins are surprisingly dreadful. Like, everybody thought they were going to be in it, right? They were in it last year. Yep. So, I don't know, man. I, I I think this team has given Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins a lot to think about. And I think that they will be active in the trade market. Doesn't mean they're going to make a big splash, but I think they'll be looking to potentially make a big splash come July if this keeps up. Because this team is playing its way into contention. And Ross Atkins has been clear since 2018. He's been saying it publicly since 2018 that they put 2021 down as the year they intended, not just to make their breakthrough, but to contend. Now, that was before they knew that 2020 was going to be weird, pandemic, they made the playoffs, et cetera. That was not going to happen. They would have missed the playoffs in 162 games last season. If they had to play another 100 games, they would not have made it. But this year was the year that they pointed at and said, we're going to break through and we're going to contend. And you know what? 36 games in, it looks like it's coming true. Now, they're a nine-game losing streak away from us (laughs) reverting from that. But as we sit here today... They're very much in it, yeah. and they very much belong. And 13 of their 20 wins have come on the road. They've played 25 road games. They've played 11 at home. So it's it's going to get very home-heavy here for the next little while. Lots of Dunedin, lots of Buffalo. Mm. Not enough of Toronto. No. But we're not there yet, right? We're but, not there oh, yet. And speaking of that, uh, there is breaking news right now. The city of Toronto has basically canceled all summer permits until after Labor Day. So no Honda Indy Toronto, no Taste of the Danforth, nothing. No Carabana. No Carabana, no no festivals of any kind, no CNE again. See you in September. Right. And some of the late spring, early summer, like Pride had already been canceled and different things. So it's, Mm. yeah, 
We're going to be going for lots of walks by ourselves. Oh. Lots of walks by ourselves. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Dodging. <laughs> Dodging municipal workers as we go. Is that somebody who could hand me a ticket? <laughs> Better veer off the path. Uh, WNBA tip-off 2021 presented by Tangerine begins Friday night on Sportsnet 1. And we're giving away WNBA orange hoodies. Text ORANGE to 59590 right now for your chance to win one of five hoodies. You could also enter on our Instagram at Sportsnet 590 or on our website, sportsnet.ca slash 590. And that is where... You can find all contest details. When? I don't know if anybody has the answer, but when could we get back out on the golf course? Adam Stanley covers golf for Sportsnet. And Dr. Isaac Bogash is a guy you've seen on your TV a lot. He's an infectious diseases physician and scientist. The two of them will join us for a panel discussion on the current state of golf in Ontario next. Lead off with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Lots of people, Ziggy, are chiming in looking for the WNBA hoodie, and we're giving away five in celebration of coverage on Sportsnet 1 starting tonight. Richard Shrivels texted in. Richard Shrivels in Coldwater is looking for a WNBA hoodie. We like that. Duggan Brantford, one of our regulars, he's, he's jumped in. Pat Muskoka. Keep them coming. Text orange to 59590 and you could qualify to win a WNBA hoodie as uh, we get set to celebrate tip off tonight. The WNBA on Sportsnet One. Check out our website, sportsnet.ca slash 590 for full contest details. All right. This conversation is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com, the state of golf in the province of Ontario. And for that, we turn to our friend Adam Stanley, covering golf for Sportsnet and the Toronto Star, and Dr. Isaac Bogosh, who is an infectious diseases physician and scientist. Gentlemen, it's good to have you on the program. Before we hear from you, let's hear from Premier Doug Ford yesterday on if and when golf is going to reopen in the province. I talk to my, my buddies. I know what happens. You know, they pick up another buddy, two or three. They go out, go golfing. And then there's nothing wrong with, with, with golfing. The problem is the mobility. Then after golf, they go back. They have a few pops. That, that's the problem. Um, so that, that's, that's the issue. And what we need, we're just asking people. I, I understand, believe me, the weather's nice. Everyone wants to get out. You know, I'd, I'd love to get out golfing. I'm a terrible golfer, but I'd love to get out golfing. And uh, right now, uh, you know, the ICUs are still at risk. I think yesterday's number was 805, and that, that, that's not good. Uh, as much as we're seeing a decline, which, which, is, which is good, everyone, you know, is moving forward. We're getting the vaccines into people's arms. Uh, but we just can't risk it. Just hang in there. For it's, We aren't asking a lot. Just a, a couple more weeks, and uh, we'll do everything we can to get things back to normal. 
Dr. Bogosh, we'll, we'll start with you because your time is, is more limited with us than, than Adam's is. The notion of mobility being at the core of the argument against reopening golf courses, what is the scientific basis and fact of that statement and belief in and of itself? Okay, you know how multiple things can be true. So wait, let me rewind. Hi. Yes, <laughs> good morning. You guys. Thanks for having Great me on. Great to have you on, yes. <laughs> we'll do the uh, medial cordial stuff, <laughs> and then we'll jump right into it. There you go. <laughs> it's all good. It's all yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, yeah, you know how multiple things can be true? So point one that's true, the risk of outdoor transmission, like getting COVID outdoors, specifically playing golf, is like, negligible right like no one's going to get this infection playing golf right it's outdoors you can separate by two meters easily uh it's about as safe as it gets that is i don't think there's many people that would argue with that that is a true and accurate statement the second point is mobility and in general mobility is a proxy for the spread of infectious diseases we know uh, when you reduce mobility you reduce transmission of communicable diseases. And that's at the international level, that's at the national level, that's at the provincial level, and that's at the regional level. Having said all that, are we going to have an explosion of COVID-19 and super spreading events if you opened up something like golf courses or tennis courses or anything like that? No, you're not, You're, you're not. I mean, you can still have other restrictions in place and measures in place to curb transmission, which we know occurs in indoor settings. So, for example, if uh, people went and traveled to a golf course in separate vehicles, they're not going to be in the same, breathing the same air indoors. And they're not going to, if one person's infected, they're not going to transmit it to the other. So, I mean, like, the other thing too, and not, not to blabber on and on, but the other thing too is you can't just restrict, restrict, restrict. You've got to give people something to do. You've got to give people safe uh, alternatives for recreation and, and other things so people can meet their unmet needs. And this is one of them. And, uh, I mean, yeah, of course, not everything is going to be 100% perfect, but it shouldn't be, and it doesn't have to be. So it, it, when, we, when we put it all together, my answer and my, my thought process is, you know, as, as tough as it is, I think they made the right move by extending the stay-at-home order. I really do. I mean, it stinks, but it was the right move. But on the other hand, in the same breath, I would open up everything outside because we know it's safe and it can be done safely and it's not going to significantly contribute to any uh, meaningful viral transmission. Yeah, and, and I'm up for the shutdowns, but I've said this right from the start last year to Scotty. It's either shut everything down or you got to open things up. And once we start shutting just golf or just tennis or just the courts or just out bike riding or the parks at one point I was going for runs downtown. Those were even shut down. Um, Mount Pleasant Cemetery was somewhere a lot of people used to exercise. That was shut down at one point. But the thing about it was that all these after round, I don't know how for, what do you say, pops with your friends? I, I, I've seen it, but it's outside. And Adam, you can jump in after this and what you've seen at golf courses, but is that a problem if you sit around in a parking lot spaced out with your friends? I know you said there's no transmission playing golf, but how about post round? Cause I've seen it with some of my friends 
last summer, and I've seen it with other groups when they're done. Dr. Bogosh, you first. So no, <laughs> like if you like, for example, just think about it. Like, let's talk golf specifically. And this is embarrassing because I'm the world's worst golfer. And full disclosure, I go golfing once perhaps every year with my uncle and embarrass myself horribly. But here's my take. The, you know, if the uh, clubhouse has, you know, uh, is closed and you're not going to be cramming people into an indoor setting and people are outdoors, like truly outdoors. nothing's going to happen. If you're outside and you're separated by a couple of meters, nothing's going to happen. Whether you're golfing, whether you're socializing, like it's, it's safe. It's safe. Nothing is going to happen. So I have no issue with that. Even if you do have, you know, five or six (laughs) people who are outside in the parking lot, sitting on a lawn chair, grabbing a, a pop, (laughs) like who cares? Adam. That's uh, geez. It, it's some really interesting stuff there from uh, from the good doctor. And you know, it, regardless of whether people are getting together to have you know lift a couple pins in the parking lot or whatever they may be doing, what the data is showing us, and it's just there was 26 million rounds of golf played in Ontario last year, tracked by the governing bodies for the sport in this province. 26 million rounds. There was not a single transmission of COVID-19 traced back to a golf facility. So, you know, Doug Ford comes out, says his little folksy statement about, uh, you know, his buddies having pops, et cetera, et cetera. But regardless of whether that's happening or not, and I didn't see it, but I'm sure, you know, if he's leaning on personal experience or whomever is telling him what they've been doing at a golf course, then that's fine. I'm sure it's happening across the province. People, when it's a 30 degree day, if they can't have a beer inside the clubhouse, they're probably going to crack a can in the clubhouse and, you know, talk about how they played, whether it was poorly or good. So even if that was happening, the fact of the matter is there was no COVID-19 cases uh, traced back to a golf facility last year when record-breaking numbers of rounds were played. So uh, the, the issue from the golf industry, certainly from people who I spoke with yesterday, is the comparative side of things. You're comparing golf, 250 acres. The first thing that you learn when you learn the game of golf is not to stand within six feet of the person swinging the golf club. So there's no reason to be close to somebody. And here we are still uh, a a year and and a bit into this pandemic. And it's like golf is being compared to the inside stuff or when golf, when you look at farmer's markets or when you look at walking trails or when you look at basically anything that is allowed to be open, tighter space, tighter quarters of people, even on the outside side of things, that's where the golf industry is starting to get very, very frustrated. Well, yeah, and I, th- I think Active TO is a, a prime example of that, right? I mean, they shut down the lakeshore around the exhibition grounds, and it's, it's good for people exactly. to get out and walk and ride their bikes. I'm not arguing against it. What I'm saying is, is more people are closer together in that environment than they are on on golf courses and that's that's where things just just don't seem to line up while we have you here dr bogosh and then and then we'll have you stick around adam get back into the golf i mean from your from your expert perspective this is a general question right Mm -hmm. now where are we in this city and in this province in the third wave of this pandemic and is there any kind of optimism you can throw our way. Oh, yeah. So let's do the second part first. Very optimistic. Lots of optimism. And then to the first part of the question, here's why. We are clearly on the right path. Okay, We're not 
we're actually kind of not not as far as we would have thought we are from the end, but we're clearly on the right path. Number one, the cases are coming down. Okay, they're coming down slowly, but they're coming down. And by any metric, the number of new cases per day, the seven-day average, the percent of tests that are positive, they are all headed in the right direction. Number two, the hospitals are slowly being decompressed. If you look at the number of patients in the ICUs, which were packed only a couple of weeks ago, it is slowly getting better. They are still packed. We are not there yet. It is not time to open the floodgates, but, but the, the numbers are slowly headed in the right direction. We're still in a precarious place, but we're getting a little bit better. That You can't, can't ignore that. And then number three, vaccines. Vaccines are rolling out at a pace that is faster than ever before. Okay, Week after week, well over 100,000 people per day are getting vaccinated in the province. Some days we top 140,000 people per day. Um, in the city of Toronto, about 50% of eligible adults have received a vaccine. By the end of this month in the province of Ontario, we should have at least a first dose of a vaccine in over 65% of eligible adults. This is going to help tremendously. You don't have to look too far to see what happens when, when you get to this level. Look at Israel, look at the United States, look at the United Kingdom. Once you start to reach between 50 to 60 percent of your population with at least a first dose, coupled with some of the measures that we have in place, cases plummet. So the pace of new cases going down is much faster. So putting this all together, what does this mean? Number one, we're headed in the right direction. Number two, we're not where we need to be just yet, but things are going to improve very, very quickly. Number three, like summer should be good. Like summer should be good. It's not going to be a 2019 summer. Sorry, it's not going to be a 2020 summer. It's going to be better. Should be better than a 2020 summer. It's, it's not going to be 2019, but it should be better than a 2020 summer. Well, that's that's good to hear. Uh, we know you got to run, and we thank you so much for your time, Dr. Isaac Bogosh. Uh, be well. We'll call on you again. Sounds good. Have a great day, guys. Uh, Dr. Bogosh is an infectious diseases physician and scientist. Adam Stanley covering golf for Sportsnet and the Toronto Star uh, holds on the line here. So, Adam, what's your understanding? I mean, you've expressed in your in your previous point the frustration of some of golf's major mm-hmm. stakeholders in this province. What is your sense of their next steps and what action they may take i mean obviously a few weekends ago we saw the actions of the bridges at tilsonburg uh that was brief and in a lot of corners people were saying wow okay that's ballsy but also is that appropriate uh there is strength in numbers what what can or maybe should we be anticipating in terms of pushback here louder pushback than what's going on behind the scenes Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. And a very quick shout out to Dr. Bogush there, because that was an absolute masterclass in uh, data and information and positivity. And it was it was great. It was great to listen to. So um, I think what was what's happening now from a golf industry perspective is um, from a lobbying standpoint, it's, it's taking a step back because clearly the meetings that they had, which were good meetings, they were the meetings that needed to happen with the right people, the tennis folks, um, you know, the, the basketball folks, the baseball folks, they're not getting into the meetings with the solicitor general, with the premier's office itself, the minister of health, the minister of sport golf is. So those were the, those were good meetings that just didn't end up resulting in what they wanted. So now it's a bit of a, okay, what is our new strategy? They still need to have those meetings. They still need to show that there is some kind of give and take 
although the government has been taking and not so much on the giving. But, you know, the, the Gulf Ontario is still a, a provincial, an official provincial organization. So there does need to be some kind of, well, we got to take the high road ever so slightly. So what's going to happen from a golf course perspective? How are people going to start banging their chest and showing their frustration? I've been told that there's going to be a Zoom meeting. An invite was sent to uh, hundreds of golf courses in southwestern Ontario um, for a, a Zoom meeting today to talk about what they could do, potentially maybe opening golf courses en masse on May the 20th, regardless of what the government was going to say. Uh, that The news of that meeting was immediately uh, struck down by Golf Ontario. They came out and said that they did not condone this in any way, shape, or form. But at the end of the day, the golf courses are small businesses. They are free to do what it is that they wish. So we'll have to see what it comes from this meeting today uh, and what golf courses may end up doing maybe as a bigger group versus just that singular entity like what happened with the bridges at Tilsonburg. How about if a company like Clublink comes to the table and joins the party? Because I feel like they've been silent through all this and i don't know where they're at like w what happens if members start you know like are, are if you paid for a membership this year are golfers and people asking for part of their membership fees back like i think that would change something with a lot of the private courses if all of a sudden club link members were saying okay i want i want 20 percent of my my you know yearly dues back would that force Clublink to kind of get involved? Because they've been they've been quiet through all this. And I feel like they have the most like don't they have the most golf courses in Ontario? Uh, second well them and Golf North to go back and forth a little bit on uh, on who is the biggest golf course operator in the country. But it's a great question, and I will say that is definitely something that is being talked about amongst the private clubs in this situation. Obviously, the public golf courses, uh, different entities, a lot of them are small businesses. A lot of them are owned by you know families, and they're really struggling. One, private, one public golf course told me that they're losing about $10,000 a day in green fee revenue not being open right now. So obviously, a big impact on the public golf course side of things. From a private golf course side of things, I talked to about five or six uh, friends of mine who are members at clubs. There haven't been any discussions yet about starting to prorate their dues for this year, but you've got to think that some of the uh, managerial staff are thinking about that because you're looking at uh, the full month of May with no golf. So that's, you know, whether it be a quarter or a fifth or a sixth of the year uh, is totally gone. <laughs> They're not going to play. So absolutely. If there's more of a groundswell of members saying, Hey, we, we want a chunk of our money back. Then all of a sudden the private golf courses are also starting to feel the heat because they're not getting uh, food and beverage revenue at all right now either. And then if uh, their memberships are starting to say, Hey, we want our golf money back too. You know, that's a big, uh, that's going to be a big impactful thing that all of a sudden you've got, public courses losing money and private courses losing money. So they're both going to be able to have a bit of a louder voice. All right. We'll try to end this on a positive note here and talk about the AT&T buyer Nelson. I don't want to discuss that Ontario is the only state or province in the world where golf is not allowed right now. Um, I don't want to mention it, but I'll <laughs> mention it. It is the only in the world. So whoever has a problem with everyone talking about it, it's the only place in the world. Uh, 2021 AT&T Byron Nelson, Jordan Spieth, 
uh, went low with a 63. He made a 55 footer for Eagle. Um, uh, the one Unreal. par five. He's yeah, he was 250 out. I thought he should have laid up as well. He ends up hitting a three wood to to 10 feet uh, over a creek. Um, he had a little bit of everything. He had a chunk chip on a drivable par four. Uh, what did you see out of him? And what's uh, what were your thoughts from the Byron Nelson so far? I saw a little bit of everything out of him. And I think that's why people tune in and get so excited to watch Jordan Spieth and when he's starting to climb a leaderboard. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, this field is certainly very top heavy. Uh, you know, you've got three of the top 10, I think, in the FedEx Cup. Uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, number one in the world, was supposed to play. Of course, he pulled out. Uh, earlier this week with a knee thing. Um, but anytime Jordan Spieth's in the field, it's going to inspire people to want to tune in and, and watch. And, and Jordan Spieth absolutely delivered right on the heels of another major championship coming up next week. Of course, Jordan won, I believe, in Texas as well, the week prior to the Masters. And here we are, another event, uh, the week prior to a major in Texas, and maybe Jordan Spieth will do it again. But, you know, just like Rory last weekend, uh, Rory McIlroy winning, that's good for the game. Jordan Spieth playing good golf is also really, really good for the game. Love to see it. It was it was super fun to watch. It was crazy. You kind of just like shake your head at the whole thing, how his uh, round unfolded. But uh, yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Well, Adam, um, you don't know this. Neither does Ziggy at this point. But Ziggy and I are going to Hawaii next week for a full week of shows in the lead up to the PGA <laughs> Championship. So oh, good. we thought we'd invite you, but then, you know, we thought, oh, we got to You'll keep it socially distanced. So we'll oh, yeah. let's just say this. We'll have you on the phone. We'll have okay. you on the phone multiple times next week to tee up the tournament. When he and I are live from Hawaii, baby. <laughs> I think they have golf there. I can talk myself into believing that lots we're there. Of good, right? Lots of good lots. golf. Oh, hey, man. Hey, Kapalua. Hey. Oh, boy. Not just lots of good golf. <laughs> lots of good life there. Oh, yeah. Lots awesome. of good life there uh thanks for doing this pal and i think I, I i mean the one thing i take away from the whole golf experience uh and the discussion that we've had is if if people would just drive themselves to the golf course so that you're not potentially transmitting in cars with multiple passengers don't carpool just drive yourself to the golf course and then behave within the suggestions six feet apart etc i i don't i don't see why it's not safe but here we be. Uh, thanks for doing this. We'll chat next week and we'll chat often. Sounds good, guys. Thank you so much. Adam Stanley covering golf for Sportsnet. Brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Elliot Friedman, NHL insider for Sportsnet in about 10 minutes time. Tim Leeper, former Blue Jays first base and outfield coach. Ziggy, take a look at the San Francisco Giants record. We got to ask we got to ask where this first place team is drawing its inspiration. <laughs> I wonder if it's from a wayward ginger. Uh, we'll get to Tim Leeper in just a moment. Let's go to Tim Leeper, who I think is in Eugene, Oregon right now. So it's 4.55 a.m. Mr. Commitment over here. Are you in Eugene, Oregon? Home of the Oregon Ducks. Home of the Oregon Ducks. We play at their, at their ballpark right there. It's a beautiful place. And uh, I saw an exciting Eugene Emerald win last night. The Eugene Emerald? Is that a singular they, nickname? No, it's actual plural, and they oh. play the uh, Hills, Hillsboro Hops, and they uh, beat the Hillsboro Hops. There they, you go. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you don't leave Eugene, Oregon without, like, a ton of Nike swag, you've done it wrong. 
You cannot be on the University of Oregon campus and not come away with about 30 golf shirts and 72 pairs of running shoes, pal. So (laughs) be on the lookout for that. Hey, I got some news for you from back east. The Toronto Blue Jays are good. They're really good, and they're coming overcoming a lot of adversity, and they're exciting. And it's great about being out west because you can watch the game early earlier in the day and then see what's going on. But they are, they are, they're exciting. I mean, that, you know, to win three against the Braves and to do everything they're doing, like I said, without everything being perfect, yeah, they're really, really good. How about my boy uh, Jordan Romano? Big save yesterday. Just, I mean, the guy is, uh, how do you not put him in every single night? I was telling Scotty, how, how, how often can we get him in to close out games? Is, do you see him kind of taking over from Merriweather once he comes back? Well, I think, well, if, if, if Merriweather comes back, it's, you know, I think you put him in as many times as you can to get the save and his arm doesn't fall off. I think that that's a, that's a good thing, but he's, you know, someone had to step up. And, you know, the one nice thing about this team is, like, guys are getting hurt and the guys are getting put into roles. And, you know, they don't really have a closer. And then he actually went through the little stand of the DL. And, and the fact that he stepped up now and, and he's able to close out games, it's just, you know, you'd hope he would get to this point. You, you kind of hope he'd kind of morphed into it just because he just pitched his way into it. But he's there out of necessity a little bit. And because he's there, he's doing it. So it's great. I love it. You're, I love that you're claiming him now. The Romano is your is your well, boy, but it's it's awesome. He's a local guy. He's great. He's helped. We went to the same high school. Yeah. We went to the same high That's school, awesome. so we played on the same team. Yeah. Ziggy Ziggy doesn't talk <laughs> cool. about the fact they went to the same high school about 12, 13 years, 20 years apart. Ago, yeah. yeah, twenty. <laughs> you know, that's one of those things, right? I mean, yes. Ziggy's just yeah, a yeah. touch bit older than Jordan. I went to high school with James Hetfield. I'm not going to sing for Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Before your last haircut, I would have liked to have seen you try. You could have bopped that thing around, and it would have flipped, and it would have flopped all over the stage uh, with Tim Lieber. I look like I belong belong on Spinal Tap more than Metallica, though. (laughs) It's a parody, baby. It's a parody. Uh, You coached with Pete Walker for five years, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. I had the opportunity to start covering Pete when I was around the team a lot in, in 2013. And back then, I mean, I think everybody thought he was good at his job, but we weren't hearing anywhere near as much, and reputations, of course, get established over time, but we weren't near uh, hear, hearing nearly as much about how Pete is at or near the top of his profession as in terms of pitching coaches around Major League Baseball. Take us behind the scenes. Give us a peek behind the curtain leap. The type of guy... Walker is and his ability it seems to reach each and every one of his pitchers on their level the numbers I think kind of the experiences kind of speak for themselves and you know you know, I got to be around him when it was like you go back to 13, and you know you you, you suffer through like the Josh Johnson and the, when those guys came over, and not that Josh was bad, but he was injured, and and you know uh, you know it was tough for him, but like the fact that it just kind of made him dig in and just keep getting better and better, and like you know the the guys that have come over and just kind of reclaim their career. I mean, the list just keeps going on and on. You know, with Robbie Ray now, you know, first it was a guy like Marco Estrada. 
you know, Jay Happen had some success with us, went away, did okay in Pittsburgh and really, really, you know, came into his own here. I mean, you can go on and on. The, the one thing about Pete, and I, I, I feel like I'm his best press agent, but, like, j- just watching him work, he really – honestly, guys, it sounds stupid, but he cares. Like, and he, and he connects with the human being first and the, uh, and the pitcher second. And, you know, everybody's kind of playing from the same mechanical playbook and the same metrics and, and all, all the biomechanics and all these things. But his ability to connect with guys, to ability to, like, kind of make the guys think that it's their own idea. And he gets them to be themselves and just relax. And, and he, his belief in them, like, it just, it just works. And, and, and it shows. And it's time after time. And he's invaluable to this club. And, and it's not just starters. It's, it's been relievers. It's been rookies that have come up. And have done well. I mean, you know how hard it is. I mean, you're watching now. You know, like, like, like Nate Pearson is, is is new. It's not a fluid adjustment to the big leagues. Like the big leagues gets kind of hard, but also like sometimes it's not as hard as we make it too. But like Pete's able to connect with all these guys, and by the time it's everything said and done with a guy like Nate Pearson, like Pete's going to be one of the best guys for him too. So he is a guy at the top of his profession. He kind of goes unnoticed, or has gone unnoticed. He's not going unnoticed anymore. But it's been a real consistent run for him, and he's 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 continuously done this this great job for the ball club and he is invaluable and i feel like i'm uh, i should i want to be his agent right now because i think well, I, I can <laughs> get some money for his next contract yeah, you should call him up and ask for a 10 percent cut right now i mean you're effectively his, his pr agent you're doing it all at five o'clock in the morning your time i mean it's it's pretty and, and you're speaking relatively clearly which is which is impressive at any time for you leap i mean i shout for that uh with tim leaper <laughs> Um, another guy you know very well because you coached with him is Louis Rivera, who must be breathing a little bit easier these days. They're getting offensive contributions up and down the lineup, but the one thing that hasn't been much discussed is that the left side of the field defense, especially on the infield, has suddenly settled down. I, I'm not entirely convinced that the arms on the left side of the diamond are going to carry through through the years. But the issues of the first two and a half, three weeks of the season leap have effectively gone quiet of late, and that's encouraging. That's really good, and a lot of hard work went into it. You got two guys that are really driven, and you know it, it, it kind of reached a tipping point with both those guys. And I mean, I just like a guy like Kevin Bijo who's been around and hasn't played much third base at all. Like, I think it's just been really good for him to continue to get reps, and he kind of, like, overcame the hurdle a little bit. One thing, I thought he was starting, you know, and, and getting kind of still in his feet, but he seems to have found a really nice rhythm with the pitcher. So, like, there's so many things that if you don't still get started on time in the infield uh, and your feet come down either late or you get still, like, you can get into a, a fielding slump really quickly. But they seem to have, like, like fixed those things. They've worked their way through it. Bo's been outstanding at short side. He's been obviously outstanding at the plate too. So it's kind of neat when you're young, it's really hard like to get going and, and find a rhythm. But once you find that rhythm, especially on the left side, but even third base in particular, like it, it becomes pretty easy. And it's, you know what I, what I really like is they showed patience. There wasn't a lot of panic. Uh, the, the guys have been out there and I think it bodes well for them uh, in the future, because the one thing you want to do, you want Bo to play short because if Bo doesn't play short, then he has to go learn another position. And then you have to go out and buy a shortstop, which is going to be really expensive. So now they have money to spend on pitching and do some other things. But, you know, credit to those guys, too. They work hard. It, it seems like they're not going to get beat. And when they put their mind to something, these guys are so talented that they've been able to get these things done. 
So what are you doing in your off time out there? Are you going to Bend, hanging out there, Crater Lake? Are you going to play Bend and Dunes on the ocean? What's what like what what's keep did you go and see Multanoah Falls outside of outside of Portland? Like I, I'm I'd love to if know he what has happens when you're any clue yeah. if he has any clue about any of the places you just named, Ziggy, I'll give you a, <laughs> give you ten bucks for each one. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go take a nice drive through weed oregon you know load up the car you know look at some waterfalls it's gonna be tremendous it's a, it's a beautiful country the fishing line is going in next time that's the biggest thing the salmon and the trout fishing out here is amazing are the i mean this is your employer i'm now asking you to talk about um but they're 24 and 13 the giants they're they're leading the national league west is this this seems like they're well ahead of the curve in a division that was supposed to obviously belong to the Dodgers and Padres, and obviously the division still could. There's so much time left to go, but nobody's going to argue with a start like that. It's really good, and you know what I like about it? It's it's, it's a really nice mix of, of, of guys that, you know, that could play. You know, there's been so much, like, get rid of the old guys, get rid of the older guys, but, like, they show the experience really matters, and, you know, it's being fueled by, you know, getting Buster Posey back was giant, you know, is playing great, Brandon Belts, you know, and, and Brandon Crawford have been staples here forever, and they're all they're all playing well, you know, and then Kevin Gosman has come over and just been absolutely lights up, pitching better, thank, thankfully now for us, than he ever did against us with Baltimore, and he was really good against us uh, when he pitched for Baltimore. Um, so it's just, it's just a nice blend of guys. They're getting it done. It's funny, like you, you watch the Dodgers and the Padres kind of beat it, beat each other up in that series, which was really one of the great early season series that, that you're ever going to see. But you know, they they both have come out of there kind of flat and uh, haven't played really well since then. And you know, we just keep winning games and then keeping our head above water. We're quietly like getting it done. We quietly have the best record in baseball. So it's been fun to watch. It's it's been fun to be a part of it and kind of watch it every day. Uh, you know, having Aaron Sanchez here is a big deal too. I know he's on the DL right now, but he's he's pitched really well in the time that he's been here. So it, it, there's a lot of reasons to uh, be optimistic about it. And it's been, uh, I, I feel like I lucked out and, you know, my first time, you know, out West and, and having spring training in Arizona and being with a club out here. And it's actually, I've really, really enjoyed my experience. Olip, it's uh, always good to chat. You know that and uh, stay well, stay safe. And we will uh, certainly reach out again very, very soon. Awesome. Good talking to you guys. And, and uh, <laughs> good job, Ziggy. I'm going to, I'm going to, Fill you in on all those places you mentioned a little bit later. I was, I, and I was about to say go back to bed, but I should probably just say go to bed because knowing you, you haven't been to bed yet. <laughs> no comment. I no comment. comment. Yeah, <laughs> pleading the fifth. Pleading the fifth. Tim Leeper, uh, former Blue Jays first base and outfield coach, now doing some roving minor league work with the uh, San Francisco Giants. Keith Law is the senior baseball writer for The Athletic. He's plugged in well to the uh, prospects around the game. The former assistant to the general manager when J.P. Ricciardi was here with the Blue Jays. Uh, Where should the Blue Jays go with their starting rotation, the prospects, etc.? Manoa, Pearson. We'll get into all of that with Keith Law at 835. Elliot Friedman on the other side begin the tee-up of the Leafs and the Habs and the Buffalo Sabres situation, the New York Rangers firing their head coach, David Quinn. Lots to get to with Elliot in just a moment. But first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Two hit days for Marcus Semien, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, and Kevin Biggio. The Blue Jays come away with a sweep of the Atlanta Braves 8-4 yesterday afternoon in Atlanta, and that kicks off so far 
The longest homestand of the season beginning tonight against the Philadelphia Phillies, who are in for three. Steven Matz gets the ball for Toronto. Vince Velasquez will throw for Philadelphia. The Raptors are winding down their season, and they've got a game in Dallas against the Mavericks tonight. That's a 9 o'clock start. And the Colorado Avalanche, this is the news out of the NHL last night, the Colorado Avalanche win the President's Trophy, the most points in the league, the year's best record with their victory last night. It was what, four years ago that Patrick Waugh quit? Was it late? Summer of 2016, think about it, right? walked away Jared Bednar, who'd won a Calder Cup with the Lake Erie Monsters, Colorado's mm-hmm. AHL affiliate, strolls in, back against the wall. They have a 48-point season, one of the worst post-expansion seasons ever. And here they are now and have been for a few years one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. To touch on that and so much more, here's our buddy uh, from Hockey Night in Canada. He is Sportsnet's NHL insider the co-host of 31 Thoughts, the podcast, alongside Jeff Merrick and the weekly 31 Thoughts column on sportsnet.ca. And he also means the weekend is almost here. Uh, Elliot Friedman, hello, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? We're we're doing well. I, I mean, just because we're coming off the uh, brief conversation there about the Colorado Avalanche, there were, you don't have to go back very far, Elliot, there were significant questions. Did Joe Sackick have a clue what he was doing? Great player, but could he translate that into front office success like Steve Eiserman and others? Uh, wayward franchise, but he has been shrewd in the draft. He's made, made some trades. Jared Bednar has acquitted himself as a very, very good NHL head coach. They got it rolling in Colorado. Four or five years ago, it was exactly the opposite. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive story. Um, you know, I, I think there's, uh, I think there's a few things there. I think, you know, they've got, you know, Nathan McKinnon. That helps. Um, that helps a lot. Uh, they've also got, you know, Landeskog, um, Gerard. They got in the Duchesne deal. Um, you know, Kale McCarr. Um, it'll be an interesting one. Kale McCarr. I. I is the only point per game defenseman in the NHL this year. And, you know, he missed a bunch of games. I think he missed 14 games, but it'll be interesting to see what that does for him in the, uh, in the Norris race. Uh, I think he's going to have a legit shot at it. So I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, how he does there, but also, you know, Sackick, the Duchesne thing, he, he took a lot of heat for that. And he, I think the toughest thing to do right now in a lot of ways is be patient. You know, things weren't going well. Duchesne wanted to be traded. Um, it was it was a big story around the league. Sackick held on, I think, a lot longer than a lot of other GMs would have just because he thought it was the right thing to do. The patience was rewarded. Um, you know, when you, talk, you guys talked about Patrick Waugh, um, you know, they, 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 they like Bednar a lot. Sack has got a really good AGM there, uh, Chris McFarland. And Chris McFarland has been interviewed for a couple jobs, but he's, he's a very smart guy. Um, he had real interest. He had some interest with, uh, in, in having Bednar be their guy because they were in Columbus together. And then Bednar won the Calder cup with, uh, Cleveland. 
And that first year was a total disaster. And I remember Sackick was here for the lottery. And I asked him, are you going to keep Bednar? And he goes, it's not fair to him. He got the job late. We didn't give him a chance to succeed. I don't believe he should be fired under those circumstances. And, you know, look at the job that Bednar has done since then. So he's made, he's been patient. And that's, uh, I think that's really helped him. And also, they have a, a really good analytics department. They don't get a lot of attention down there. Uh, uh, Eric Parnas is a guy who I think leads their analytics department. He's a very bright guy. There's another guy with him who's another very bright guy. Um, I just think they're a really smart organization. They've got good players. Uh, they've made good trades. And, uh, you know, Caudry's been a good fit for them. Um, you know, I, I think they've made a lot of – like every, every organization makes good decisions and bad ones. Uh, they've been patient. And I think patience is something that's really worked out for them. How do you see the Leafs and Oilers, uh, the top two in the North? How do they stack up against the Avalanche, Golden Knights, you know, the Penguins, Capitals? Um, can't believe I'm saying it, but the Hurricanes, Panthers in yeah. the Central. Where, where does, you know, everyone kind of wants to know who's got the best division, who's who had it the easiest this year, but how, how, does, how did you see the North compared to the other divisions, uh, you know, among the leaders? Uh, you know, it, it's it's really hard to answer that. Um, you, just simply because this year there's no crossover. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there was one game late in the year, uh, Mike. I remember I have a group chat with some of the 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 people we work with on Hockey Night, and there was a Colorado Vegas game. I think it was a couple weeks ago, and a few of us were watching it. And uh, you know, I, I remember we were sending notes to each other saying. You know, boy, this looks this this is pretty intense. This is pretty great game, and how we would love to see you know Toronto against one of those two teams or Edmonton against one of those two teams, just to see how they they would compare. Um, you know, we we interviewed Sam Bennett for the podcast today, and he went from Calgary to Florida, obviously, and I did ask him that. I said. You know, when you went there, how much of a change did you notice? Like, is it true that Canadian teams play no defense just as kind of a joke? And he laughed it off. He said, oh, we play defense. Don't you worry. And uh, I just think it's so hard to tell. Like, like the, the thing about the Leafs this year is I, I think they've been really good for most of the year. I think they've been very consistent. Um I would love to see them uh, against those teams. And the other thing, too, Mike, is that I did notice that McDavid had an unbelievable year in terms of points per game. Matthews had an unbelievable year in terms of goals per game. But there's a lot of guys in the North Division who didn't score at the same level that they have in the past. Um, you know, so I, I don't know how to compare it. Um, I'll tell you this. I think I think there's about six or seven teams in the league that were better than everybody else, and they were consistent throughout the year at it. And I think Toronto was one of them. And I think Edmonton's probably uh, once Smith got going, um, they were probably on the lower end of that tier. But with those two guys, they can beat anybody in a seven-game series. 
With Elliot Friedman on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So perfect world scenario, Elliot. Yeah. The Maple Leafs goaltending in the playoffs is roll with Jack Campbell. Is that well, the perfect I, world scenario? I, I think the, the thing that's going to be really interesting, well, yeah, because it means that he plays well and he wins a lot of games, right? I mean, so the, so from a Toronto fan's point of view, I think it's a perfect scenario. Um, the curious one, the one I'm going to be about is the back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when that got released yesterday, I know, you know, someone said to me, oh, Anderson's going to get a game. And I said, I'm not so sure about that. Um, you know, first of all, who knows what's going to happen? You know, that's games three and four. That's the back-to-back. You know, what if you're down to one or something like that? You know, you know, what if you're what if you're up three nothing? Do you just say, no, we go with the best goalie who's up three nothing and we try to close it out fast? Um, you know, I, I I don't think anything's gonna be set in stone. I think circumstances will dictate. But I think Campbell's your guy. You know, to me the other night, and I said it after the game, Anderson just looked he didn't look confident. There were, you know, I think everybody understands that there's going to be points in a game where you're kind of looking around and, oh, I, I don't know where the puck is. That happened about four or five times to him. And uh, a longtime goalie coach uh, mentioned to me that the one play that concerned him, like I thought, I actually said on the air, I thought that the, the goal by Parker Kelly, his first NHL goal, uh, the one that came off the boards, was a fluke and a, and a goalie coach texted me. He said, maybe it looks like a fluke, but when that shot comes from the point and it goes wide and, and bounces behind and off the boards crazily like that, to the other side, the thing that concerned him about it is that Anderson looked the wrong way. He said that when it's, when it's going by your right shoulder and it's wide like that, you should look left. Because you're, you, the, the initial thing you should be prepared for is that big bounce. And he said Anderson looked right. And he said, as a goalie coach, that concerned him. Because it said to me that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't trusting the textbook kind of thing. So it was his point. So I, I think the, it's a tough situation for the Leafs with him. Um, he's only had one NHL game. Um, he he obviously has work to do to get back to the level we know he can play at. He he lacks a little bit of the uh, confidence and sureness that you that he's had and you expect from him. And I don't think that's an easy thing to be dealing with uh, on the eve of the playoffs. Um, I know I know uh, Campbell is supposed to play tonight. Um, I was almost wondering. I was thinking to myself, like, do you need to give Anderson a period tonight? Do you say, okay, Jack, you get two periods and we need to give Freddie one? Or, you know, the old uh, house league hockey rule where one goalie gets 30 minutes and the first whistle after 30, the other goalie gets to go in. I don't know. I I was wondering if that's what they should do. Just give Freddie some of the game tonight. Yeah, and I think think you should split them on the back-to-back. That was my initial thought. But I'm trying to think of a situation. Circumstances will dictate, Mike. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of a situation where that would happen. And this morning, me and Scotty have been discussing it. And it's it's like, well, Campbell plays good the first two games. Are you putting Freddie in, in game three uh, and play Campbell in the second half of that? No. Um, if you get up three nothing, are you putting 
Anderson in for the game four to close it out? I I doubt it. Like I'm trying to think of a of a situation where Freddie gets in one of those first four games or the back to back, and I just I, I there is none and, and unless Campbell. Well, there absolutely, is one unless he doesn't play well. Yeah, unless he's or, absolutely or, or, awful, or he's you know he's hurting or you know whatever yeah. which you don't want. Like you know, I mean, there's always you know we can sit here a week and a half before it happens and say well it could be this it could be this or the analytics say you shouldn't start a goalie back to back well you know that's those are all great things to talk about but let's that's all theory let's see what happens in practice let's see what happens when we're there yeah it's just the mitigating factor of course is is that both suffered injuries at at times this season and Mm -hmm. they appear to be nagging like just things that they're managing uh, as opposed to to things that may have fully healed, but you're right. I mean, we all we can do is panic, Elliot. We and and guess. And, that's what you're here for. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to panic. <laughs> I'm here to panic. And quite frankly, well, I, I got to tell you, they're they're probably feeling a lot worse than you are in Montreal today. I feel very badly for uh, whoever that uh, social media person was who accidentally Ooh. posted the Weber pick. Like, yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. And it, by the way, it confirmed a lot of suspicions. Like we'd heard, we, we'd heard it was the thumb, and you know, but it's tough to prove. And and now we see it. Speaking of which, where do you think teams revealing the true nature of the injuries their players have suffered is going to go? Once single game sports betting gets Queen Elizabeth's signature. I don't- I don't think it'll ever change. I I thought it would, but what what I think you know they have an injury list like the NFL. Um, you know I I just don't think that like I I think it should change, but I don't think it will. I I you know I I've talked to people about this. Um, you know I I think that you'll get things like we have a question mark. And then you'll see, you know, one of the things we do, I think now if you bet hockey, you've kind of learned that you should watch the warm-up. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, the one thing you could do is you could have to declare your roster a little earlier. Um, that's one, you know, internationally they do that. You have to declare your roster an hour before the game, but there you're allowed to dress more skaters. Um, but I've, you know, actually it was interesting. I saw some articles about it yesterday. People said like, it's, it's not going to change. Well, I think that's, I mean, the one thing you can do is I don't make any bets on an NHL game until I see the warm up, And maybe that's what we're just going to have to deal with. With Elliot Friedman on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan. So Daryl Sutter's exchange with Ryan Leslie was quite something and not surprising because Daryl has a bit of a history of doing that when he's in a, a particular mood. Uh, No, I I didn't come here to get this team into the playoffs. I I came here to straighten this team out. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Buffalo, the Jack Eichel situation obviously caused headlines and there are the Reinhardts and the Ristolainens of the world who are saying, uh, yeah, rebuild, <laughs> not another one of those. Uh-huh. It feels weird lumping Calgary and Buffalo into the same sentence, but for the sake of doing so, I will. Are, th- are one of those two teams 
the team you're most interested in watching this offseason, Elliot, or are there others out there, maybe the Rangers as well? Like, I feel if, if you told me Buffalo's going to look completely different next year or Calgary's going to look completely different next year, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. I think Buffalo is the most interesting one simply because they have a, like a franchise level player who wants out. And, uh, you know, Eichel, I know this year was a really ugly year, um, but last year Eichel had a massive season. He was excellent. And if Buffalo hadn't faded, he would have been a heart trophy kind of guy. Um, so I think Eichel is because he's the biggest name, the most impactful player who could be available out there. He's the guy who I, I think gets the most attention. So, you know, I would say Calgary's up there too, because they've got some big decisions to make. Um, uh, you know, I think the Rangers are going to be really interesting as you mentioned for a lot of reasons, who they hire as coach, what they decide to do. Um, I, you know, I think another one's going to be Tampa, um, you know, this year they, they were able to avoid making some really painful decisions by Kucherov's surgery. Um, they're they're going to be capped tight again. You know, they're, again, they're going to be in a situation where they might have to make a decision or does someone else get hurt? I don't know what the – and I'm not saying it's illegitimate. Kucherov was legitimately hurt, although I think a lot of people are saying he could have been back sooner. Um, I think Tampa's got some big decisions to make. So – I, I think their situation is going to be a fascinating one too. And, you know, I think the other thing is to, is like, do Montreal or Toronto are like, who, who loses that series? Like, mm-hmm. like, like I, to me, Toronto should win the series um, based on how they've played all year. And, and Montreal is, is not healthy. Um, but, you know, and if the one who goes down first, like, does that mean there's going to be changes coming? Um, I think the one thing you haven't factored in there, Scotty, is the results of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, who, you know, what happens based on if someone goes down early. I think those decisions are going to be interesting. Although I will say, specific to the Leafs, Elliot, it, it's hard to argue with the regular season record. And, and that. I, you know, I, like I said before, Scott, I, I think they've had a great regular season. They had one bad spot, but generally I thought they were very yeah. consistent, very consistent. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that that can carry over 82 games next year. And I mean, it's hard to be patient sometimes, but as, as you've noted before and, and others like Washington won the Stanley cup, apparently on the other side of their window, yes. the St. Louis blues were a team that sh- could have maybe should have won a Stanley Cup at some point over like 15 years. And then they finally went out and did it. Right. So I, I just with this core. It, How many times do we say Pittsburgh was done between number right. one yep. and numbers mm-hmm. two and three? Yeah. And and then on the flip side of the coin, you got a team like Philadelphia with Alan Vigneault who looked great last year. And then they sputter. I mean, it's almost always unpredictable the way it goes down. Uh, thanks for this. So, uh, yeah. so, Scotty, what are you predicting? What's your first round Montreal Toronto prediction? Oh, Leafs will win the series in in no no more than six games. Leafs are going to the well. We haven't thrown out our predictions. We were saving those for next week, but I'll I'll let the cat out of the bag. Leafs are going to the final four. Okay, going to the final I four. Were, I thought you were going to say like the first two games are so lopsided that the Canadians would cancel the last two. I really thought you were going to come out with that. <laughs> one. No, I don't feel I can go there because I don't. 
I don't want the blowback on social media, and I don't want the blowback on the text line. I'm I'm trying to be gracious and humble Scott, in my confidence. Cowards don't wait make it in sports radio. You know, you just have to understand that. <laughs> okay, well. All right, they're going to outscore the Habs by 10 goals over the first two games. Elliot, how you like them apples, huh? 8-2. Uh, uh, I got to tell you. Yeah. This is the kind of bravery we need yes. in morning radio. Yeah, not all yes. heroes <laughs> wear capes, Elliot. This is true. This is true. Some wear glasses. Yes. Some of them wear Sportsnet Michelin Man jackets like me, <laughs> uh, bright and early on a on a Friday morning. Uh, hey, well, no, no sports reporter is going to knock you for wearing a free jacket. Just you so you, you know. bet. Well, swag, right? It's always, yes, a, it's always right. a key. Don't say there aren't any perks. We'll do this next week after game one. Look forward to it. All right, guys. Take care. Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada, the NHL on Sportsnet. Something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. Putting you on the spot, Ziggy. May the 14th, 1998, 23 years ago tonight. What happened? 1998. The series, the series ago. finale. Oh, nice. 23 years later, my crazy. It's been that long. My huh? take remains true. The series finale of Seinfeld was good. It was a good hour long. Average. average. And I think you'd series. be in the minority. Very, uh, yeah. yeah, very average. I was. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, I was disappointed, actually. Yeah, Sorry, I'm moving from average to disappointed. I, I haven't heard from <laughs> anybody down, who's ever yeah. told me how it should have ended. The the bit part characters uh, from the Marble Rye lady who tried to impeach Morty <laughs> down at the condos from Babu Bot <laughs> to... Babu Bot. Like, all those, all those characters, all those characters contributed to the shows that they were on, like the individual episodes or the couple of episodes that they were on, I love that they brought them all back. For a show about nothing, it was it was something else. For a show about nothing, the series finale was more or less about nothing. Yep. And for a show about four of the most selfish people on the planet yep. being punished for how selfish they were, it tied it all together. Was that wrong? Was that wrong? Mr. Lippman, <laughs> it has come to my attention that you were having <laughs> relations <laughs> with the maid on your desk. Was that wrong? Because if anybody had told me <laughs> that that sort of thing was frowned You're upon. not allowed to do that? Because I got to tell you, I've worked in other places and that stuff happens all the time. George Costanza. There's a little bit of George Costanza. In all of us. Uh, Keith Law is the senior baseball writer for The Athletic, former assistant to the general manager when J.P. Ricciardi was running the Toronto Blue Jays. He is well plugged in, not just to all big league teams, but to all of their farm systems. We'll talk to Keith about the next steps for Nate Pearson, the next steps for Alec Manoa, the Blue Jays' 2019 first-round draft pick who has dominated his first two AAA starts and how excited should Blue Jays fans be about this team's start? Keith Law next. The second button is the key button. 